Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened over the last week in the world of wwe with just under two weeks remaining until the first wwe premium live event of the year that is indeed the royal rumble and the silver king will be in attendance at his first wrestling event in about five years unless you count that special nxt show in orlando i'm talking full stadium full arena type of wrestling event, so I could not be any more enthused. We have an absolutely loaded show for you today on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, but we would be remiss if we began without a reminder that this show is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Just like these two new five-star reviews we have gotten over the last couple of weeks. First, from AK-215. Really like the show. Five stars, very limited commercials, and great content. Hosts are quite knowledgeable and carry the show well. Silver King and Vintage play well together. Great length of episodes and great analysis on some cool angles and views. Always enjoy when they drop a new episode. For sure worth a listen if you're a wrestling fan. Really good stuff has become my go-to wrestling podcast. I don't miss a WWE episode and I've listened to some episodes twice. Nothing but bangers. We've got a second five-star review from Nels One Jack. Best wrestling podcast I've listened to, five stars. I was familiar with vintage Chris Vanini from the Athletic College Football Podcast, and he would inject wrestling on occasion. Little did I know he was on a wrestling podcast until recently when I followed him on Twitter. I've been listening for just a few weeks, but I have loved every bit of it. Keep up the good work, guys. I look forward to every show that comes out while on my work delivery routes. Thank you. So not only one, but two five-star reviews, and not only one for the, your boy, the Silver King, but also for vintage Chris Vanini. So welcome everyone who knows Chris, of course, from his college football pursuits. We appreciate the five-star reviews. And if you're out there saying, hey, I wonder if it's valuable for me to go leave a five-star you know, written review on, on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, it is. And we read them right here on the show, as I promised. So AK215 and Nels1 Jack, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. And Chris, I also feel like it's worth acknowledging. This is probably the most relaxed I've been coming into one of these episodes of the podcast in a long time. Our college football seasons and the coaching carousel cycle, it seems, fingers crossed, uh, that follows it generally are over. And I feel like I'm getting back to my normal life again, which is really exciting. Yeah, good to be back here on the pod. I missed last week. I was in Houston for the national championship game, which, by the way, there are several people in college sports I know who listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. They made comments to me at Media Day and stuff like that. That was great to hear as well. Appreciate that uh, five-star review. 
and, and yeah, like, I mean, there's still stuff going on in college football. It's still very busy, but you're right. It does feel like, oh, there's not a million things going on while <laughs> we're doing this podcast. And it's right as we get into Royal Rumble season, uh, it gets me fired up even more. So, yeah, it feels like a fresh start. Yeah, like, I think everyone, you know, realizes that we have other jobs, but I don't know that they fully understand how intense those jobs are, like when football season is ongoing and then shortly thereafter when it comes to like the playoff and the coaching carousel hiring cycle and all this types of stuff, uh, National Signing Day, certainly in late December, it is a grind. And the fact that like I'm now able to somewhat watch football purely for enjoyment with the NFL playoffs and we're able to get back to the basics on this podcast, uh, just turning out exceptional, you know, little Barry Horowitz there, uh, wrestling content for your ear holes. And by the way, that it all happens and it all, like that transition occurs with the Royal Rumble coming up and then WrestleMania season shortly thereafter. It's really just a great time of year for me. And I'm glad that all of you get to join us uh, and go along for the ride. I should also note here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast that I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get exclusive audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant recaps of Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown. You also get exclusive news posts every single Friday. And I did want to shout out not one, not two, but three new subscribers over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Andre, Davian S., and Wayne J. I appreciate all of you guys uh, signing up. It's possible that I'm doubling up on one of those names and I missed, but I didn't want to have someone subscribe and become a new official getting overhead and not be acknowledged. So all three of you, welcome to the party and we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. It kind of feels like Thanksgiving here because there's a lot of acknowledgements going along and I, I need to drop one more. And this is to friend of the show, Salvatore, at SalPal2 on Twitter. So he's a graphic designer. I had tweeted out right as we were uh, finishing up our Getting Over Awards that we would love to have some graphics made. That way we could promote them on Twitter and, and we could honor some of these wrestlers and, and factions and groups and all this individually. And he hit us up in the DMs. Super easy to work with. Super generous with his time to create a design that he liked and that we liked. Uh, we've been sending them out on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I hope you guys have been not just liking them, but retweeting them so that others can see. But he helped make graphics, Chris, for the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. And he made the Meaties better. And he, not only all of that, he also made us an official Meaties logo, which is probably my favorite part of the entire graphic. So you can see all of those graphics and please retweet them at getting overcast on Twitter. But let me once again, shout out friend of the show, Salvatore at Sal pal Two Sal. We acknowledge you. Acknowledge. acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. So that is the acknowledgement section of this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast. Now we still have, let's not get it twisted. The main event the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word. But I'm afraid I've got some news. So there are a number of items that went down in and around the world of WWE over the last week, Chris, that we should discuss as we get started with today's show. You know, we have been looking for elements of production changes 
in WWE with Kevin Dunn now gone. Last week, we mentioned the walk and talk promo for Tommaso Ciampa on Raw. That was a crystal clear example. We've also seen multiple segments away from the arena over the last couple of weeks. I'd like to see better production value in those, like more realistic venues and scenes, but the change is nevertheless appreciated. And this week, SmackDown opened with highlights that included blood and there was full screen graphics, but in color, not black and white. And you'll remember anytime blood was ever used on anything, they would change it from full screen color to black and white. All clear and notable changes as far as I was concerned. I would say, Chris, improvements across the board. But when it does come to those venues outside of the arena, I prefer them to actually use real venues and not fake ones that they set up. Yeah, it, it has felt different. Uh, the promos have been different. Uh, still kind of doing a lot of the action shaking camera stuff. But um, right. and it, we, I, I think that was a new set on Monday, too. So it, it has felt a bit different these last uh, week or so. So the, the blood definitely stuck out, especially because we had the L.A. Night blood moment a week or so, a couple weeks ago uh, in the triple threat match. So that was notable as well. Right. You would think when they replay that, that it would be black and white. That's what they used to do in the past, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. Regarding the set on Monday, just to clarify for you and everyone else, uh, that was not a production change. There were literal issues with the blizzard and the arena in Little Rock. So WWE basically had to pare down their production uh, and they went with more of a house show look than what they use for TV. It basically looked like they were not able to rig anything in the air, like hanging off the roof, which is what they mm. do for a lot of uh, product uh, TV show setups. So they had to use a ground-based set. That's why it looked the way it did. I actually, though, didn't hate it. It kind of looked like old-school Raw, but, you know, uh, if, it, if the old Raw set had been improved but not changed up until 2024, that's what it looked like to me. So it was just interesting to see it that way. But no, that's not the new set. Uh, they're going to be back to the regular set next week and, and going forward. Um, on the production note, just to wrap this up, WWE did hire Lee Fitting to take over as head of production and media. That followed Dunn's exit. He has a ton of big time experience with ESPN, worked on College Game Day and some other shows there, major shows, uh, before being let go is what I can tell happened. Now, a story did come out this week. It's a little bit too tough to explain here, nor really should we waste time on it. But if you Google ESPN Emmys, you'll be able to read about that story. It's nothing too salacious as far as I was concerned, but it does help explain his exit from the company. Yeah, uh, shout out to my colleague, Katie Strang with The Athletic, who broke that story. I didn't know it was coming until it popped up, and it was quite a wild story. Lee Fitting's departure from uh, ESPN was pretty stunning. Uh, It was like two weeks before the season started, Mm -hmm. like last year, and... Um, I don't think it was the Emmys thing. It hasn't really been figured out why, but uh, he's a guy who's been around TV business for a long time. And uh, so interesting hire. Yeah, it felt like maybe that was more of a additional factor rather than a reason. Because it, yeah. again, it's not that salacious of a story. I didn't really realize it was an athletic story. Very well done. It's not that salacious. It's just notable. And then when you realize yeah. that person no longer works there, you're like, oh, maybe that's a reason. It's pretty much what I was trying to explain. Uh, Another news item here, the former Dolph Ziggler, now Nick Nemeth, not only showed up at New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom earlier this month, we mentioned that already, but he debuted at TNA Wrestling's return show, Hard to Kill, over the weekend. He's already in a title program with New Japan. He looks to be going for TNA's top title right off the bat, which obviously makes sense. He's probably TNA's biggest signing 
since Christian Cage back in the day. And I presume he's going to take their main title sooner than later. It's going to be great to see Dolph get a lengthy reign on top of a company because there's that opportunity to prove us right. And I'm thrilled that he chose TNA over AEW because there's just so much more space for him to spread his wings and do what he wants and get over. When you go to AEW, especially these days, if you're someone like him, you can easily get lost in the shuffle. There, he's a big fish, the biggest fish in a small pond. And like I said, he's the type of guy, Chris, who so many of us have been saying for years should have gotten a legitimate run at the top of WWE. It's one thing, they made him World Heavyweight Champion cool. It's another to actually go with that person. As World Heavyweight Champion, WWE never did. I'm excited that TNA is being reborn. I'm a little angry that I don't get the channel that it's on. Like, I can't watch it on a weekly basis. What channel channel is it? Axis TV, AXS TV, whatever Mm. you call it. I used to have it uh, back on my old system, but YouTube TV now, I don't have it. Can't watch it. I would actually DVR and like fast forward through some episodes and watch if I could, but I can't. Uh, But I'm excited for them. It looked like Hard to Kill went well, and I'm excited for Namath getting this opportunity. Yeah, you know, he's he's a guy, a great worker, always showed out his cash in of money in the bank was one of the biggest pops in the last 20 years of WWE history. Uh, and it's unfortunate. I mean, he didn't get the push, but it's also because he got concuss- He got a concussion and th- those issues eventually is why WWE kind of moved away from him, um, which was unfortunate. So hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully he gets that shot at the top and can can prove what he does because uh, he's great. He brings a lot of energy and uh, that's good for TNA. That's true, but they were never really going with him in a significant way where he was going to be their number one heel or their number one face. That just was never going to happen, but he has the tools is the point. He, incredible in ring, great on the mic, charisma for days. Like it, it's all there. Total package always has been. Also, he was hamstrung from day one with that name, Dolph Ziggler. Like that's not like, what are you supposed that's to do true. with that? I, I've never understood why they at some point didn't eventually change it or adjust it. But he is now Nick Nemeth, his actual name. And I'm excited to see what he can do in TNA. Speaking of people who I am excited to see what they can do. Mustafa Ali is all in with his new gimmick. He surprised at a new Japan show over the weekend out in California, challenging Hiromu Takahashi. I was thinking about this Sunday. And Ali is in a quite similar boat to now Malachi Black, former Aleister Black, in that they were just starting new gimmicks in WWE only to get released like a day or a week after that gimmick debuted. And basically, they're now getting the opportunity, Black, of course, already had it, Ali now, to continue that momentum outside of the company. Ali has wanted to do this politician gimmick for years now. And especially now, given it's an election year, I have a feeling he's going to get massively over. Similar deal with Nemeth in that Ali now has a chance to go out and prove a lot of us right who had his back and were always angry that WWE didn't push him. So just like with Nemeth, I'm really excited to see what Ali can do. Yeah, I'm curious how that works with New Japan, too, as opposed to if he was doing the politician gimmick like in a pure U.S., like if he was doing that in TNA, mm-hmm. how that would go, if people would want to maybe be more careful with it. So, uh, yeah, you know, happy all these guys uh, have jobs sticking in the business. And um, another guy who I, I know didn't get a ton of 
shine. And so we'll see what he does. Just to clarify, Ali is actually doing an entire large independent run with this gimmick. Like he's already booked himself at like oh, okay. 10 different companies. But the fact that he debuted in New Japan is obviously notable because it's New Japan. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. But that's just for your edification and anyone else who may have misunderstood just the way I presented it. A uh, couple more items here. Cora Jade, who was in the middle of a huge push after returning to NXT a few weeks ago, she tore her ACL at an NXT live event and is obviously going to be out for the foreseeable future, the vast majority of 2024. This comes after she missed four months to end 2023. They were repackaging her. I believe there was surgery done as part of that, et cetera. So she's basically going to be sidelined for 12 months out of a 13-month span, which is just awful. The only good news is that she's 23. So she has her entire career in front of her and youth obviously aids in recovery time. But like I said, she was right in the middle of a push that may well have resulted in her winning the women's title in April at Stand and Deliver. Now, according to experts, and Chris, you know this because we work in uh, sports, female athletes are two to eight times more likely than their male counterparts to tear their ACLs. But even so, this rash of ACL injuries and NXT and wrestling, because it is happening in AEW, it's happening independently, it happened on the main roster, Charlotte Flair just tore her ACL along with other ligaments in her knee. It has been straight up absurd over the last couple of years. There's probably a dozen notable women who have torn their ACLs in wrestling over the last couple of years. I don't believe it's the fault of training or anything like that, but this is something that really needs to be like researched further, looked into, because yeah. all of these women are getting cut down in their prime. And you know how difficult it is to come back from one ACL. What if you're like Tegan Knox, who's had to come back from two or three? Like, that's where your career really gets cut short. So super unfortunate for Cora Jade. But again, she's young. She's going to be fine. It just sucks that she's out for the next, most likely, nine months. Yeah, it's terrible. All these specifically ACL injuries for the women are terrible. Yes, Cora Jade's young, and hopefully that will help in her recovery. But you also hope it doesn't stunt her you know, projection, you right? Know, she, she hasn't established, you know, a ton yet to have made an entire career before this stuff happens. So hopefully she's able to come back and, and be okay. And uh, yeah, just brutal news, really. Definitely. She was easily doing the best character work of her career, young career, obviously, but the best character work by far on this return. And she only got like a month back, two months back. So, you know, again, it'll, we'll see what happens nine months from now. We'll see what NXT does Tuesday night on the show. Do they address it by just telling us the injury? Do they work an angle? Do they have Blair Davenport take out her knee just like she did all the other women who tore their ACLs? We will find out potentially as soon as Tuesday night. And lastly, before we get on with the rest of the show, longtime listener Corey Bretzman at Corey Bretzman on Twitter, two ends at the end there. And I'm talking, when I say longtime listener, longtime listener. He started hearing me talk about professional wrestling back in the day on In This Corner. He sent us an entire digest from SmackDown on Friday night. He legitimately, Chris, sent in 700 words, an essay. So here are just some bullet points <laughs> that he thought everyone should know from that show. He was surprised how quiet everything seemed from like the pyro to the ring. He remembered it being louder back when he used to go to wrestling. He didn't like how much non-action there was. And that's just the way, you know, WWE TV goes. But this show, that SmackDown that he went to was certainly not one of the heavier in-ring episodes. I can see that being an issue in attending a show. Uh, he said Randy Orton got the top pop and LA Knight was second. And I always say on this podcast that we underrate how over Orton is with the crowd. He's not John Cena, 
but he's really not that far off either. And lastly, he wanted to point out that the blizzard led to the arena being empty and fans being exhausted due to the cold. So a lot of the hard cam seats got relocated. That way people, you know, could be seen on TV and it looked full. That makes sense, of course, right? And it's pretty clear the exact same thing happened at Raw in Little Rock. Michael Cole even mentioned it was a sparse crowd at the start of the show and it was not loud whatsoever. You could tell Monday on Raw, those who were there had real high energy from 8 to 9 p.m. And then once 9 p.m. hit, it didn't matter what happened on screen. They were exhausted. And cheers and chants that would have been really loud were muted due to lack of attendance. So I'll note, Chris, and that's why I wanted to read this now before we get into the show. There were probably four different moments on Raw this Monday that would have gotten huge reactions in front of a full house, but instead they just kind of happened because the crowd wasn't that large and everyone was exhausted especially by the time they got to hour three of the show. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, and and look, it, it was a weird weekend for a lot of reasons because of the cold, because of everything else. Raw very much felt like a mostly mailed in episode because they knew they were going up against the NFL playoffs, the Emmys and the Iowa caucuses, which is totally fair. So it uh, was not a heavy weekend of wrestling. But next week's to go home to the Royal Rumble. And we're going to be off and running. And uh, it was understandable for, yeah. for, for WWE, for the fans, for, for everything. Next week is the first Raw without competition, like football competition in yeah. five months, right? So they are going all in next week. I don't agree necessarily, though, that Monday night was mailed in. I think they had three or four specific goals. Those were achieved, but it was just happenstance that the crowd was so light that you didn't get the pops that you otherwise would have. For example, just I'll mention one, the Rhea Ripley, Becky Lynch confrontation, which obviously we'll talk about momentarily. The way that went down, some of the lines that were used, the way it was structured, that was meant to get huge pops. And I thought it completely delivered, but the crowd was just exhausted because it came, I don't know what time, but like 945 or something like that. So they were into it and some of them cheered. But when you have when you sell, let's say, 10,000 seats and only 3,000 people show up and they're exhausted, you're not getting the same reaction to it that you otherwise would have. So I agree it was not the most momentous show, but at the same time, I don't believe it was mailed in. Does that, is that fair? No, not, not mailed in, but it was not the... It was not the um, it's not the it, high quality it, it, of Raw that we got in the, the couple prior weeks yes, where we were praising it. It's the complete opposite. It, yeah. It's the opposite end of the spectrum of what day one was a couple weeks ago. Okay, I will agree with that. That is completely fair. Folks, that was, I'm afraid I've got some news. I don't even know if we officially title that segment or we just use the sound drop, but we have all three segments left on today's show. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word are coming up. But as always, we kick off this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. So we're going to largely concentrate this on SmackDown and the overarching storyline as well regarding Roman Reigns and The Rock. SmackDown opened with a recap of last week's events, including Roman Reigns learning of the fatal four-way booking by Nick Aldis backstage after the show from Paul Heyman. The opening match was supposed to be Cameron Grimes against Grayson Waller, but Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa attacked Grimes during his entrance. Heyman blamed Aldis for putting Reigns in a no-win situation. 
Aldis hopped on the ring apron, stole the microphone saying Heyman is not his equal in power, the match is on, and the bloodline, including Reigns, will main event SmackDown against AJ Styles, LA Knight, and Randy Orton. The crowd went nuts. Heyman got right in Aldis's face because he wouldn't release the mic, saying he obviously knows Reigns is not there, crowd booed, and Aldis said the bloodline could find a third teammate or not. Too bad, the match is still on. Obviously, last week I was excited for Grimes to get a TV match, but this isn't the type of swerve that's about to get fans mad. Plus, I'm sure they're just going to do the match next week or the week after. Actually, Chris, before we get into what happened this Friday, we didn't mm-hmm. hear from you last week. I had to do the show solo. So let's kind of set the stage entering this week. What did you think about the end of SmackDown with the triple threat match, the no contest, and all just making the fatal four-way off mic to Heyman? I thought the triple threat match was awesome. I thought it really like felt like a big match. The stakes were there. All three guys delivered. I was fired up about it. The LA Knight pulling the referee out spot was done perfectly. Um, and then the Roman Reigns interfering and doing everything. Like, you, of course, it was going to become a fatal four. I'm not sure what Roman Reigns expected. But right, right. as you said on the pod last week, you are correct. And that I... <laughs> Absolutely, 100% hated the announcement of a fatal four-way off mic. I don't get it at all. Can you just imagine if all this stands up and says, no, 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 Roman, we're not doing that. As a result, the Royal Rumble is going to be a fatal four-way. Crowd goes crazy. Roman Reigns looks mad. You go off the air. Like, it's easy. Like, that's wrestling 101. I don't understand why they did it off mic, and then you throw, you do the digital exclusive afterward where he reacts to it. I just, it felt like you're trying to be too artsy instead of just, like, giving the crowd what they want. Because if you're in the crowd, you get the you get the interference, you're expecting something to happen, and then the show just goes off the air, and you're like, well, okay. I just, I don't understand why they didn't send the crowd off, send the TV audience off with a big roar, I hated that part. Everything else was great. I'm just glad I was right and I got your opinion correct. Because <laughs> I, I delivered it exactly as I thought you would. I mean, I didn't go as, I didn't rant as much as you just did, but uh, I was on point, which is positive. And yes, I agree. They sacrificed the crowd pop for storytelling, but I loved the storytelling element of it. The fact that you have Reigns up there thinking he's a total badass and he's getting over and all just kind of us being the the only ones who know, us being the viewers at home, that Aldis is not taking that shit and Roman's out there celebrating. Meanwhile, we know that he's going to be really, really, really pissed off about it. And they delivered it to us on social media immediately after it was over. And I mentioned on last week's show exactly how I would handle this deal on the following Friday. And that's exactly what transpired this past Friday. They did a recap and ran the entire backstage segment at the start of the show. So if you somehow did not see it on social media and you were just a SmackDown viewer, you knew exactly what happened. They capitalized on that by breaking into the scheduled match and getting a good amount of heat. The Aldis Heyman tug of war I thought was great and Aldis continuing to stand up to the bloodline, it just remains refreshing to me as a storyline. It's almost a meta type of gimmick, right? He knows Reigns is never there, so he can almost do whatever he wants without repercussion. This might even eventually down the line play into Roman losing the title, whether it's the way the match schedule gets booked or maybe Aldis adds a stipulation to a match, whatever the case might be. It feels like he's going to be an integral part no matter what direction it goes. I think Aldis is crushing it 
and everything worked Friday. And as I said, I thought everything worked last Friday as well. Yeah, I'm loving all this in the spot. Someone who stands up to Roman, he's a big guy. He could probably get in the ring and wrestle with Roman at some point. Oh, he certainly could. To do that. Yeah, so I mean, it. Um, that's all working. That's why I just wish all this had done it in front of the crowd. Like, he's a great promo. Like, I don't know, just, it was such an easy thing to do. And ever, ever since the, ever since the um, Thunderdome era, where they had to have wrestlers talk, you know, because we didn't really have a crowd. Mm-hmm. They've gone, they, they've tried to do a lot of that off mic stuff because it feels more real. Yeah, it's more authentic. Yeah, whatever. I just, I, some of these things, some of these, there's too often where you have these big announcements, which are the things you're building up to either happen on social media where a match gets announced or you do it off mic. And I just think it's, it's a little too much. Like give the crowd the big thing to cheer for. That's the point of wrestling. Well, I still completely disagree with when they just randomly announce like a pay-per-view match Wednesday afternoon on Twitter. Like that to me is ridiculous. So I'm not going to disagree with you whatsoever there. But occasionally you get something like this and it's done as well as this was executed to the degree it was two Fridays ago. I'm 100% fine with it. We don't need to keep going on about it. Uh, But we at least hold our positions strongly and are very predictable what our opinions will be on this topic. I knew what you would say. And and of course, you knew the direction I would go, although sometimes I do agree with you, but you never seem to agree with me when it comes to um, the occasional usages of this. So later on SmackDown Friday, in the Bloodline locker room, Jimmy was sure no one would team with them, but Heyman said people would line up and not to worry about it. Solo just shook his head saying, I never worry. Heyman later popped up literally polishing an apple with his handkerchief for Carlito, saying it would be cool if they teamed up. Carlito obviously declined, but he took the apple anyway. Pretty deadly, put their arms around Heyman wanting to join until Heyman pointed out who the challengers were and that he only needed one of them in the match. So they tucked their tails between their legs and dipped out. Next was Heyman approaching Bobby Lashley, giving him a chance to get his aggression out. He said the only interest he has in getting the ring with the bloodline is being one-on-one with Reigns. Thank you. Like, finally. Thank you. Where has that been, Bobby? Like, (laughs) all this time? Okay, finally. Um, Anyway, so Jimmy was later thrilled. Paul came through. I was looking for the sound drop. I got all flustered there. Jimmy was later thrilled that Paul uh, came through. Only for Heyman to tell him he actually struck out, but he was not worried. Jimmy repeated he was worried. Solo said he's not. So Jimmy turned it around saying he wasn't worried either and no yeet. Obviously, the totality of these segments was a lot of fun. The pretty deadly interaction was the best, but really all of them hit and it gave us another show long storyline building to the main event without Roman Reigns. So if we're not going to get Roman, at least we get a show long storyline. My biggest issue is that Orton and Knight are at odds with Styles, who is a little bit more on the heel side than they are. And we didn't get even one moment backstage featuring them figuring out how to get along, arguing about not wanting to team together, anything. They easily could have found 60 seconds on the broadcast to get that in. So that was a minor miss for me. But from what we did get, I thought it was all extremely fun. First thing, I loved Jimmy's no yeet shirt. Is that new? Was that new this week? No, it's three-ish weeks old, I would say. I just noticed it. It's so funny to me to just do the yeet shirt and then like scribble no over it. However, I don't get why 
Jay has the blue shirt and Jimmy has the red shirt and yeah. they're on the opposite brands I of know. the color. I don't know. The shirt would I, I just Well, the, the reason shirt. is the, the reason is color. it's it's opposite brands. But Jimmy, I mean Jay went to blue because Bloodline is red, so he did the opposite, yeah, yeah. which is blue. That's why it is what it, it is. Just, yeah. It just it just stands out. I the, I honestly might get the no yeet shirt. It's really funny. So the um, yeet, did you see the blurred yeet shirt? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's a great shirt. It I like that with one. my eyes, but I, I like that too. Uh, well, that's the great. idea of wearing it. It's like in that office episode where if you wear it on the shirt, you don't have to deal with it. Other people do. So I don't need yeah. to see the blurred yeet. Other people would have to see it if I wear it. Sorry, go ahead. Um, Paul Heyman, I don't know if I caught this before, if I'd said it before on the podcast, but he now has a pro iPhone. So he appears to be up to date now on his phone. This is like several phone upgrades over the last like <laughs> two or three months. So we are making progress with Paul. That is good. Okay. That is positive. Thank you for uh, whoever is listening to this podcast. Did you approve of the phone case? The phone I didn't even case. notice the phone case. Is, is it something that we need to talk about? Uh, I think it's a blo- I think it's a bloodline case, right? It's a good. Well, it uh, was previously. Good. But if you're saying he upgraded his phone, I would assume he changed his case. Uh, probably. Probably. Okay. But uh, that's good. Good to see. My wife just got an iPhone 15 Pro the other day as well. Good to be on top of that. Also, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy was so funny here. He was, yeah. <laughs> when he when he was like, I'm worried. I legit like burst out laughing. Like, like we're gonna go into this match three on two, and I just don't want to get my ass kicked. Like he was he was really good in this as well. So sh- shout out to Jimmy. For sure. So let's go to the main event. Orton, Knight, and Styles against the bloodline. The heels attacked Orton as he was first out to the ring. That turned it into a traditional two-on-two match. When Styles entered, he smacked hands with some fans, which obviously is not a total heel move, but he and Knight did argue before getting into the ring. So they gave me a little taste of what I was talking about, even if it wasn't exactly what I wanted. Styles, for some reason, refused to tag late in the match before ducking with Knight eating a super kick. That's when Orton got back in the mix, making it a handicap match again. He immediately went on a huge run, including a draping DDT and RKO of Jimmy for the win, and he got a huge pop afterward. Solo attacked, but AJ saved with a phenomenal forearm. Knight hit BFT and Orton added an RKO. Then they teamed up to dismantle Jimmy with steel steps and Solo with a shield powerbomb into the announce table. Heyman, of course, called Reigns to end the show. Late in this match, I had put a note that it wasn't really hitting for me, but the Orton return and the subsequent post-match beatdown with the shield powerbomb completely delivered. I can't remember seeing the bloodline taken out like this, at least not in a while. And I hope they're actually off TV next week, not Roman Reigns, but the rest of them, to swerve us into thinking that Reigns will be on his own with no help in his corner at the Royal Rumble. Obviously, we know that won't be the case. There seems to be a purposeful effort to make the bloodline look weaker than it has in years, which is what we always expected to happen, preceding Reigns finally dropping the title. The best part about this is how no one ended up actually tagging with them because they've burnt every bridge in WWE. So no, they shouldn't have been able to get anyone. And if they did, it would have needed to be someone like Santos Escobar or another heel on the show, which was another weird item that Heyman didn't just go after heels. Like he tries to recruit Carlito and Bobby Lashley. Go get a heel, you know, go talk to, like I said, Escobar, go talk to Austin Theory. You know, someone like that is available for you, but that's not what they did for a week without Reigns, given the fatal. Well, four- well, it's, it wasn't going to be Austin Theory because they because of how the the show opened, right? Yeah, but when I'm just saying. Austin well, no, 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 Grace, no, no, Grayson Waller was the one in that match. Austin Theory had a match later in the show, so they were both available. They could have could have gone after Waller. They could have taken any heel on the show. I was just using an example, but 
for a week that didn't have Reigns on the show, given the fatal four-way booking, they probably did the best they could, if you think about it, to like create an interesting and captivating show that would pop the audience. But business really needs to pick up this Friday on SmackDown. Reigns returns, he does a contract signing, and I want to see an elevation in the storyline going into the go-home week. I've really enjoyed this whole thing with, with the fatal four way, the four of these guys, LA Knight, Styles, and Orton together. Like they all, it all feels like a big deal. And you're right, the match was kind of whatever for a bit. But then when you got to the Shield power bomb, I was like, oh man, like that's, that's sending a statement to Roman Reigns, you know, like, like in a very personal way. And it was pretty cool to see that from these three guys. Like it felt like that took the intensity up another level. So, yeah, I'm not sure what uh, you know what you do. What two episodes of SmackDown left mm-hmm. until Royal Rumble? So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. Like this has been really good. The problem is this because you have all your stars in one storyline. It kind of takes away from the rest of the show where there's not as much. But you know, I, I love a good hey, spend the episode of television trying to find a third person. You know, classic wrestling trope. Like it, it usually works, you know, it always hits and it did here and it made sense that they ended up getting nobody. And so they had to do some heelish things to try to get over it. Didn't work in the end. Boom, boom, boom. You go home. So like, I, I thought this all worked. I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, we just we need Roman Reigns back now, as, as is always the case. Right. Anytime Roman's not on screen and it's a storyline where his belt is on the line, it does miss a little bit. And and doing this fatal four-way, it doesn't just take away from the rest of SmackDown. It actually, to a degree, and I'm not against it. Let me be very clear. I like the booking. I'm glad Reigns has multiple competitors on a major show. It's different. It feels like he can maybe win that match clean, hopefully. But it takes away from the Royal Rumble match itself because three of the other guys, or I should say, I'm sorry, two of the other guys in this match would be in the Royal Rumble, but they're not. And we'll talk about this at the end of today's show. We'll do a quick review of the Royal Rumble card. But the Rumble is like, it feels like it's 95% raw. (laughs) Like, it doesn't even feel like SmackDown is going to be a factor in this match. So that is something to keep in mind that because they took three of their biggest baby faces or two big baby faces and one tweener and put them in this match with Roman Reigns, the SmackDown side of the Royal Rumble is going to suffer because of that. Obviously, it makes the odds that someone from Raw wins greater just almost by default. And you know, Chris, one week, just one week at the end of SmackDown, I would love a live camera shot of Reigns at his house. He picks up the phone. He sees Heyman calling him. And he just, you see that look of frustration on his face. Like, oh, what went wrong now? It would pop me so much, especially if he's like playing with his little kids and he's doing something fun and he has a smile on his face and the phone rings and it's like the bloodline theme. And he looks at it and like he just rolls his eyes or something. Why have they not done that? Am I crazy? I am curious what those conversations are when Paul Heyman calls. Right. You know, it always ends with call Roman Reigns and then we never know what they what they say. So I want to know fun. the call. I want to be part of the call just once one time. So speaking of Roman Reigns, OK, and this is how we'll wrap up the main event. A significant topic over the last few days has been what will happen if Roman Reigns versus The Rock is not actually held at Elimination Chamber in Australia. Right now, it's not announced for the show. Roman is not announced for the show. Doesn't mean it won't be on the show, but it has not been announced as of right now. So I figured, Chris, it would be a pretty interesting thought exercise if we addressed that possibility and looked at all of the different potential options 
and whether we would accept them from WWE creative. Are they okay with us as viewers and I guess as critics as well? So I'm gonna read down each option. And then Chris, I want your take on whether they are acceptable or unacceptable to you. Before I dive into these, let me point out, as of this show's taping, Roman Reigns is four days away from passing Bruno Sammartino's 1973 reign, fourth longest in WWE history. He's also 241 days away from passing Hulk Hogan for second longest in WWE history, also longest of the modern era. If SummerSlam was to be held on the last day of August, there would still be a 13-day gap between Reigns and Hogan. In other words, even if they delayed a title change until SummerSlam, it would not get him that second longest record. I just wanted to put that in context as, Chris, I bring you these possibilities, okay? So let's start with the baseline. The baseline, what we hope happens, or what we've expected to happen, I should say, is Roman Reigns and The Rock at Elimination Chamber, and then at WrestleMania 40, Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes in the night two main event. So that's the baseline. Now I'm gonna give you, Chris, some of the other options. You let me know acceptable, unacceptable, and if you have any reasons why, go ahead and share them. So here's option one. WrestleMania 40, Roman Reigns versus The Rock, night one main event. Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, night two main event. Obviously, this is the one that I have been suggesting now for two years. Only acceptable if we get Cody versus somebody on night one and the winner goes to Sunday night. I do not, I, I do not accept Roman Reigns fighting twice on one weekend and Cody Rhodes fighting once. I will not like that. So for example, if, get- if they pull a Royal Rumble finish, just as, as an example, where Cody and Drew McIntyre get thrown out of the ring at the same time, feet touch the floor at the same time, or if Cody wins the Royal Rumble, challenges Reigns, McIntyre wins Elimination Chamber and is able to challenge whoever he wants. He wants to challenge Reigns also. They end up fighting night one. The winner goes on to night two. That makes it okay. Without that being part of it, you're not cool with it. Correct. I just think it looks, it takes away from Cody so much if he beats Roman Reigns on the back end of a back-to-back. What if he beats him? doesn't have that. What if he beats him the night after he beats The Rock, Reigns, in like eight minutes? Don't forget it's The Rock. So it's going to be a monumental win. If What if Reigns isn't exhausted from it? He doesn't get injured in the match. He just looks as strong as he ever has at the end. I don't like leaving any excuses. Okay. You, you could have Paul Heyman come out the next day and say, well, Roman had to fight two nights in a row. And he's right. You know, like I Roman Reigns does not need to be protected in this loss. He should not be protected in this loss. Cody should get everything from this. And so, no, if you now if Cody wins two nights, if Cody beats Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns and back to back nights. Now, that's how you freaking build a star, you know, like that. That is that would I would accept that. But if Cody's sitting just watching it night one, I don't like it. OK, fair enough. Option two, WrestleMania 40, night two main event, Roman Reigns versus The Rock, SummerSlam main event. Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes. I'll accept it. Okay. Because The Rock is The Rock. And I, who am I to say, no, you should put Cody Rhodes in over The Rock as your main event. Like, I get this as a business. Mm-hmm. I get this whole thing. You're just going to have to really, really do something to make it look like Cody's not 
to, to, I guess, protect Cody, so to speak, not protect him that he looks okay, protect him in that he doesn't look like a chump again. That like that, that's what you would have to do. I would begrudgingly accept it. That's how I feel. Begrudging acceptance. In fact, I wrote the word begrudging, uh, begrudging acceptance. As long as Cody is in a huge match, number one at WrestleMania and number two, the road from Mania to SummerSlam, it cannot be for Cody like the road was after Mania this past year. He needs to be in monumental types of feuds and maybe even lose the first one. Like maybe he loses at WrestleMania and then has to work his way back to become that, number one contender again at SummerSlam. You have to do something to make him compelling is what I'm trying to say. Th- that is, okay, so that, th- I'll talk about this again when we get to, Cody Roman if it happens, but they have not told a good Cody story since last year's WrestleMania. I was expecting the Cody's at his lowest point, lost to Roman, right. loses some matches, has to eventually start to do the comeback. The story they tried to tell with John Cena the second time he fought The Rock, and they haven't done that. Cody's won like everything he's done since losing at WrestleMania. He lost one match to Brock Lesnar, but he beat him twice. Right. He beat Shinsuke. Like, He's, he hasn't he hasn't gone through any adversity since losing to Roman. They've done a poor job of building that back up. So yeah, if he loses at Wrestle, if he loses at WrestleMania, if it's not going to be him at WrestleMania, give me the story. Send him to the bottom. Right. And he has to come back. They didn't do that. Yeah. He would need to basically lose at WrestleMania. And then whatever that in whatever match that is, and then and work his way all the way back up till SummerSlam. Maybe not even become number one contender until like July. Where you're like, oh, wow, okay, he's back. Like, it took him three months to get there, but he's back. You know what I mean? And that could be wrestling every night on Raw or every other, you know, a week, I should say, on Raw. Something like that. Have, Something. Him, lose, have him lose to Dominic Mysterio. Like, like really do that if that's the road you're going to go down. Yeah, like, I would love to, like, if, if, if let's just make believe we're in a world where Reigns Rock is the main event of Night 2 WrestleMania, I would love Cody Rhodes, Drew McIntyre with Drew beating him. Yes. Just straight up beating make- him. Make people think Cody is being actually buried. Exactly. Yes. That's the way you have to do it. Because then the rise is monumental when he gets back to that mountain. And it makes the SummerSlam match feel important rather than secondary to the WrestleMania main event. It makes it feel like this is a huge monumental occurrence. All right. Option three. WrestleMania 40, night two main event, Roman Reigns versus The Rock. WrestleMania 41, night two main event. Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. Look, I want to say I won't accept it, but like the last year of pro wrestling 2023 was like pretty good, you know? <laughs> like it hasn't, everything around Roman has been kind of But black. that's the problem though. But it's been like, there's it's it's good enough under Triple H that I don't like, I think it's still going to be fine like when, when this happened at the end of last year we were we thought you know, the next night we thought vince is coming back we thought like uh, we hadn't really experienced a year of triple h yet and so now that we trust him to build a deep card a deep storyline with everything like i would roll my eyes to the back of my head it would almost be too predictable then <laughs> but 
I, I think I'd again begrudgingly accept it. I do worry that they would just run out of things to do because I think they've already, they already run have. out of things yeah. to do with Roman. See, I this is where I disagree. I would find that completely unacceptable. Stretching it for one year made sense to some degree. They got Roman a thousand days. He's going to have at least the fourth, maybe the third. I forgot what that number is for the third. Longest reign uh, with a world title in WWE history. Like, there is value to delaying it for the year, but like, even though for those first couple of months, the bloodline story was still rolling hot. I mean, it's just been dead in the water as of late. It, it's, it's, this is nowhere near the main storyline. WWE is massively hot. The Roman Reigns bloodline story is nowhere near as hot as it was a year ago at this time. And if I have to wait another year for Rhodes to win the title and they're simultaneously keeping him away from the World Heavyweight Championship all that time, that is immensely difficult to stomach. I don't know when WrestleMania 41 is going to be. Who knows what the roster is going to look like? Everyone has to stay healthy. Like, it's one thing to delay it a year. It's quite another to delay it two years, especially when the year wasn't filled with banger Roman Reigns stuff. Like, when, when, we, yeah. when we sat here after WrestleMania Night 2, one of the things that we said was, look, we're not going to be able to judge it until next year's WrestleMania or until Cody wins the title. At that point, we can look back and say, it was a great idea that they delayed it. It was perfectly fine or it was a terrible idea. Those are really the only three options. Right now, it's like perfectly fine. Like it's okay, they delayed it. It's not as hot as it was, but the moment will still be huge. Another year from now, that's where you really start risking, not fans turning on Cody, but the level of support that he has eroding. And I, I just don't I, think they could wait another No year. pun intended. No pun intended there. Eroding? I, I do, yeah. I do think you're right. And look, we still have three months to WrestleMania. So like they will heat this up. But it is hard to picture right now Cody's moment feeling bigger than if it had happened last year. Because you had the story of Cody left WWE, Cody came back to win the title. You had the tricep, t- uh, mm-hmm. the, the pec tear, Pectoral, yeah. built-in storyline right there. He came back, he's going for the Like, they haven't told the story yet. Again, like I just said, they haven't told the story about Cody Rhodes yet. It's just finished the story. So, again, it would have to be Cody loses, and then, like we said before, really goes into a tailspin and is like at the bottom of the barrel for a while. And then you build him back up. Right. But you can't be saying finish the story for three years in a row because people aren't going to trust you anymore. Yeah, so he, he would have to get I'm to the highly, point. I am highly skeptical it would work. But I don't but I, I'm not. But I don't think it wouldn't work. I think it could work. He would have to get to the point, not stardust, obviously, but where he gets so low that he starts to question himself again. And you almost run another storyline of like, do I need to leave WWE and do what I did again and come back another time? Like, did this not work? Did I fail? He would have to question himself to that degree for a WrestleMania 41 title change to work. And I don't know that they can tell that story while simultaneously have Reigns with the title, defending it three times over 12 months again. It's just, you can't do it. It's just not going to work. So for me, that would be unacceptable. But here are two more options that I feel like nobody. nobody has considered, including us. We haven't even mentioned these as possibilities. 
we probably should be. So here they are. Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, main eventing night two of WrestleMania 40. And Roman Reigns and The Rock happening this spring at Blood Money in the Sand or this coming summer at SummerSlam. And before you give your takes on these, Chris, I wanted to provide these options because let's remember, Rock did not lay down a specific challenge or a specific date. If you remember, WWE began teasing its WrestleMania main event matches at the time it thought would be their two main event matches in October. We had the Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes face-to-face on SmackDown, and we had the Becky Lynch and Rhea Ripley moment on Raw in consecutive shows. And what we have been saying this entire time where we've been talking about Reigns and The Rock is that what? It does not need the title. The match should be for head of the table. Who is the tribal chief? There are benefits to holding that program after Mania. Number one, we know Saudi Arabia will pay. And we know SummerSlam is something WWE wants to make into a clear, huge number two event. So if you delay Reigns and Rock until one of those shows, it makes plenty of sense. Number two, it could be Roman's first feud as non-champion, coming out of losing the title, which would theoretically crush his aura as head of the table. What better way to regain momentum almost immediately, by the way, by confirming he is indeed the tribal chief by beating The Rock at a major stadium show. In fact, now that I laid it out this way, am I crazy that it makes more sense to run Reigns and Rock after Roman and Cody than before it or back-to-back on the same show at WrestleMania? So, back, so wait, you're saying... Cody Roman night one. Night two main Roman event. Rock. No, night two main event, WrestleMania, Rock, not on WrestleMania. Then you do okay, Reigns so Rock, either at Blood Money what, in the Sand at, or SummerSlam. Backlash? Okay, not 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 directly the next show. No, like Blood Money in the Sand, because it's a big show. It's a lot of money in God, Saudi if Arabia. They do, if they do or Roman SummerSlam. Rock, if they do Roman Rock in Saudi Arabia, it will be the most like disgustingly gross money thing I could think of. Why is that worse than doing a John Cena or Undertaker or anything else there? Because The Rock hasn't wrestled in 12 years or whatever like this. And Roman versus Rock is something we fantasy book for like since the pandemic. Sure. And then to do it and then to do it in Saudi Arabia where you know The Rock's doing this because he's getting a boatload of money would just Mm -hmm. be like you wouldn't you wouldn't do it in front of the, the American fans and not to say that Saudi Arabia fans don't deserve stuff, but like I just to do it, it, it would feel as gross as Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement to do that. That felt gross. Disgusting tag team match. That yeah, felt gross. Like, it would feel like that. Shawn retired, The Rock didn't. I mean, there, there was a difference there. You know what I mean? That's as far as I'm concerned. Right. But so they haven't announced SummerSlam location yet, but it's Cleveland, right? It's rumored that it's going to be Cleveland. That, they, is, they have not that has been the thoughts to be Cleveland. So like, yeah. I would certainly accept that, I guess, to answer the initial question. That's what we thought was going to happen for a while. We thought last year Cody would beat Roman and then Roman can go off and do a rock thing. Um, That didn't happen at this point. It's it is kind of weird to have the rock openly talking about this now and then to do it after. Um, Because if Roman beats rock and then Cody beats Roman, that's a 
extra boost to Cody. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't. Do you really need? I don't know that they need an fine. extra boost for no, Roman. I agree. Though. I agree. It like, would be fine. Yeah. It would be acceptable. It would honestly, if I was putting money on it, that might be the pick. That's what I'm saying. I think it would be better. I think it would be better. Forget it. Forget about the location like Saudi Arabia or SummerSlam. Like, kind of forget about that. I'm talking about the booking concept of Cody knocking Roman off his perch and then Reigns regaining his aura by beating The Rock. So doing it second and doing it three, four months later, to me, that makes more sense than any other option. Uh, storyline wise, storyline wise, I'm talking about not business wise, storyline. Yeah, like that or doing it in Perth. I think those are equally good ideas. Doing it before, yeah, to okay. give Roman an extra boost going in. Okay, I think I actually think it makes more sense it. to do it after. I do. I, I actually do believe it makes more sense to do it after. It, it could. Like, again, I think it's a good idea. I don't hate it. I like it. So, all right. Either way, and this is how we'll kind of wrap up. It does feel like business is picking up for WrestleMania season. Like I said, the top storyline, the Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes storyline, if we get there, it's not as hot now as it was a year ago. And it's largely because almost nothing can compare to that Sami Zayn part of the bloodline story. It was so immensely unique. But I do think it's fair to say, Chris. There's a larger variety, a wider variety of hot storylines going on simultaneously compared to this time last year. Yes. And once again, like we said last year, we don't need The Rock. We really don't. We don't. Like, it's great. It's great that he comes back, but it's a credit to Triple H and all the wrestlers that for the second year in a row, I could take or leave The Rock. I, I think they've they've done such a good job that he's not needed. And he's kind of a sideshow in all this. Um, if he if he's there, if he does something great, but we don't need him. And that's a great spot for WWE to be in. It really does speak to how hot WWE is right now. And we're really about to speak on everything that happened in WWE over the last week as we move into the second segment on this episode. That is the good, the bad and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything do says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. Now, before we get into this, I would be remiss if I did not remind you that Getting Over has been nominated for the Sports Podcast Awards Best Wrestling Podcast of 2023. And best of all, it is a fan vote. We would absolutely love your support. Please visit us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Check the tweet pinned to the top of our profile. Voting is open until the end of the month. All you need is an email address. You can vote once a week regularly. You can also open an incognito window and vote more than that. But again, Twitter, uh, at getting overcast top pinned tweet click the link and vote for getting over best wrestling podcast in the sports podcast awards we would greatly appreciate winning our first ever podcast award with that let's go ahead and get into the good the bad and the ugly from the last week in wwe we'll kick off with cody rhodes who was the first segment on raw he came out talking about the Royal Rumble and finishing his story when Drew McIntyre immediately interrupted, 
back in the kilt for some reason. I couldn't really figure that out. He did get pyro, though, like the fire pyro, and he slapped some fans' hands. McIntyre recalled them being tag team champions as the dashing ones back in the day, and then ultimately leaving WWE, striking it big and forcing WWE to bring them back. Drew was confident Cody would finish the story and be the first Rhodes to win the WWE title, just not before him. Then he told Rhodes to wipe the smile off his face, ditch the suits, and be himself again. He's wearing a kilt while saying this, but Cody shot back that he's happy and thankful for his second chance while Drew just continues to complain. McIntyre gave Rhodes shit for bringing Jey Uso to Raw and endorsing CM Punk when he knows what he's about. He again took a shot at Damian Priest for costing him, saying he's operating at 100%. He is the damn business and no one can stop him. Cody shot back with his normal stuff and ended with a mic drop pointing out that he won their last match. So we now have McIntyre going face-to-face with Cody, CM Punk, and Seth Rollins in as many weeks. And obviously, he has an open problem with Priest as well. He's also openly talking about WrestleMania. And every time he speaks, he mentions leaving WWE and coming back. All of this tells me that this contract story that's rolling around in the IWC, it's either not accurate or maybe there's just a mutual plan in place for him to take time off and come back to WWE. Remember, we reported months ago that it seemed like they were close to a new deal. Never confirmed that it was made, but at one point they were close at least. Anyway, Drew was right here in that he is operating at 100%. He's been on fire for weeks. It's the best work he's done since his road to WrestleMania with Brock Lesnar all those years ago. Cody was actually a forgettable part of this, which just furthers my point at the level at which McIntyre is working. He bested Punk and he bested Cody in back-to-back weeks. Obviously, this was good. This has been the case for a month plus now, but Drew McIntyre is the most interesting thing going on in WWE and maybe all of pro wrestling. He is incredible right now. He's throwing in the realism. You've got the questions about his future that add to all of this. He's spitting fire on the mic. He's great in the ring as always. He looks like a million bucks. I just, I can't get enough of everything he's doing. I'm so captivated by him. And this was just yet another one. I I love talking about the two of them before they came back to WWE and all these little things and Cody's little smirk. And like you, you sense the connection there. It feels like they're bringing you into something between the two of them. And it's just, fascinating i will say that for the first time in a while it looked like drew didn't have the black dye in the beard mm. uh, it, was, it was a little more redder browner than the normal don't know if it means anything i just wrote it down because it came to mind but yeah every time drew mcintyre is showing up on my screen i am not looking at twitter i am focused on what he's doing he is killing it yeah he's totally captivating right now absolutely crushing it Cody and CM Punk will have a face-to-face next week. Shinsuke Nakamura also had a new video package where he was angry over being unable to inflict the damage he hoped against Cody. He said he's still hungry and their story doesn't end until he says so, but for now, his eyes are on the Royal Rumble. No grade here, just wanted to mention it. They're sticking with the gimmick. Nakamura unfazed despite the loss. It was a fine promo, same style, just quality stuff. Uh, The World Championship, Seth Rollins defending against Jinder Mahal. Uh, Raw opened as Rollins walked into the arena with Rue 
his daughter in his arms that just popped me because I haven't really seen her like that on TV. Mm -hmm. Plus, Mahal walked out of a black SUV looking dapper as hell. Later backstage, Rollins said he gets stronger with every title defense, but he was not overlooking Mahal because he's a former WWE champion who is confident in himself. Jinder was meditating backstage later, saying his focus is singular as he looks to overcome a seven-year drought and remain the hottest superstar of 2024, who everyone continues to talk about, which is not untrue. This was the main event. Indu Sure joined Jinder ringside, and Damian Priest walked out with Money in the Bank after like two minutes. Rollins dominated offensively, but sold the knee after hitting a springboard moonsault. He sold it further after a pedigree as Veer screwed up putting Jinder's foot on the bottom rope. All he needed to do, by the way, was put it under the rope because it's the same thing, but I digress. Rollins splashed him outside. Mahal dodged a splash inside. As Priest considered a cash-in, McIntyre emerged from the crowd. They exchanged blows. Rollins took a cheap shot inside and ate a gut buster for a false finish. Indu Sure did a double distraction, leading to Rollins eating a briefcase shot from Veer and a Coloss from Mahal for a, I'd say, 2.5 false finish. Wade Barrett made an excellent call, reminding that's how Jinder won the WWE title seven years ago when he beat Randy Orton. Indu Sure then got ejected, with Rollins immediately hitting the stomp for the 1-2-3 to retain the title. So the, this was exactly what it needed to be. I mean, I could argue it should have been shorter with Rollins being more dominant in the finish after the interference, but he was never actually in danger except for one circumstantial moment. That said, it was an extremely well-done false finish, like using the foreign object in the finisher, but I wish either Jinder took longer to cover him or Rollins delayed the kickout at like 2.9 and sold the effects better. I'm almost positive because I do remember looking at my clock as the show was ending. I'm like 99% sure that it was a timing issue and Raw almost went over. And that's why Rollins didn't sell the effects and immediately popped up and did the stomp because if you realize like they rang the bell, Rollins lifts the title and Raw immediately goes off the air. And I remember my clock went to 11.01. So it really does seem like they were rushing the finish and therefore he couldn't sell it as much. But still, as a viewer, I'm like, wait a minute, that kind of, how could he take a briefcase shot and a finisher and pop up right after a false finish and hit his finisher and that's it, right? It, di it didn't totally work for me. Jinder actually looked solid throughout. He sold his ass off for Rollins, particularly when it came to the finish, the stomp. Plus, we got McIntyre and Priest progressing their feud ahead of Raw next week, which is a match Drew 100% should win. This was good. I thought this ruled, man. I thought this was incredible. This, this was this blew away the expectations I had for this. I thought Seth was going to win somewhat easily, and you move forward. Jinder looked awesome in this. The Coloss false finish totally got me. I didn't think it was a 2.55. I thought it was more of a 2.8. Oh, wow. I thought I really, uh, were, I, they had me for a second there. I was like, holy crap, is this actually going to happen again? <laughs> like they totally got me. Love the the chaos at the end. Mac and, the McIntyre pre stuff made sense. Like this, this was a lot of what I like about pro wrestling, which is just like madness, interference, mm -hmm. finisher out of nowhere. And you think that might be the end of a possible title change. Like I, I love this. I thought this whole thing was great. Um, so shout out to everybody involved who who did this. Because remember, there was a lot of heat around this, the hook stuff. I think you talked about it on the AEW pod. The oh, Tony Khan I talked about, about this. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah I talked about good it. rant. Good rant. Go back and listen to that up. Uh, the last AEW episode where Silver King went off on Tony Khan. Yeah. For weird things. Gender looked awesome. I think this is the type of performance gender can continue to build on. Yeah. And continue to stay a threat. Which yeah, why is not? exactly what you want. Because when that rock thing happened, we thought it, we thought it was just he's out for a minute. Do a rock thing and we don't hear from you again. Instead, it's been a great promo last week with Seth. Great match this week. Like, keep pushing this guy, man. He, you need some heels. You need some good heels. He's killing it. Uh, this whole thing was great. Yeah, I loved it. And I, uh, before we get no, out of it, so um, we can talk about Seth's knee. Yeah, some people. I was going to mention. Think that. it may or may not be real, but um, I, I thought this was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly not like the greatest match or anything like that, but it was entertaining and it did exactly what it needed to do which is really the point that you're making here regarding Rollins so he did hurt his knee in the match legit he did what I heard is he's fine and he did hobble backstage got some help couldn't fully put pressure on it initially but even though it seems like he's fine that was like the prevailing sentiment coming out of raw he's obviously going to get checked out after the swelling goes down and you obviously never know what it could be when it comes to a knee fingers crossed that it's not something disastrous. Um, there are many knee injuries you can have. I've had them that are not disastrous, but require you to be off your leg for a while or not wrestle, be physically active. So fingers crossed that it's not a disaster, but this close to WrestleMania, I mean, certainly not a good situation to get hurt in any degree. But again, I'll repeat, I heard so far he's fine. So let's just put that out there. Yeah. But it was a legit injury for sure. Okay, because I had thought I thought I had thought my initial thought was that it was a work because well, when it was. when commentators start talking about it, then it's like So what happened was you know. he hurt himself earlier in the match, and then they had a planned knee selling spot in the match that was okay. separate. So he did the springboard moonsault and then sold the knee, and that was planned. But I believe he hurt so his he knee had, prior. So he had already injured the knee I believe. before he did the moonsault. I believe that is what happened. If that man, if that was the case, I would have uh, adjusted some things. <laughs> well, right. You don't do a springboard moonsault and, and things like that. I, I believe that is the case. Yeah, yeah. I think he heard it on a tope. I, I'm not 100% sure, but that's what it seemed like when I watched it back because I did see that he, people were saying he hurt himself. So I went back to watch it. That's how it came across to me. But here we are, you know, we're 12 hours after the show when we tape this. And, you know, it's only so much known right now. Certainly yeah, we will obviously. update. And if anything comes out, we'll obviously cover it at the start of Thursday show or at the latest next Tuesday, right here on the WWE episode. Let's move on. Uh, Bianca Belair fought Bailey on SmackDown. All of damage control was out with Bailey. She got distracted by them at one point, but escaped the kiss of death. So Belair flung herself into a crossbody outside. Bailey double knotted Belair's braid to the bottom rope, catching her with a knee. But Belair pulled away with her braid tripping a running Bailey into the bottom turnbuckle. Bianca bent her backward across the ring post, but Bailey pulled her into it. Then Belair put her in KOD outside, only to throw her backwards into the post. And later she hit a handspring moonsault. Bailey came back with a flying elbow, but got caught with her feet on the ropes during a cover. She threw Bianca outside and sold the knee, trying to wave damage control to like help her while she was distracting the referee. But they just stood there and didn't do shit. Belair countered into a nice spear and then hit KOD for the win in 16 minutes. Later backstage, Bailey was angry about the lack of help, but Dakota Kai said the referee was looking at them and she didn't want to get her DQ'd. Plus, Bailey has to win the Royal Rumble on her own anyway, so she might as well have won this match on her own also. But Bailey, of course, was not pleased by any of this. This was, though, damn good 
and certainly better than the crowd response. But again, that was due to the blizzard and it being empty. They popped in spots, but they just didn't get as loud as I would have hoped. I'm sure we all knew that Bailey was losing this match, but it was clearly a storyline driven loss with damage control's unwillingness to like capitalize and help her. That led to being the distraction in the match. And also it led to them gaslighting her backstage after the fact. The slow burn of that storyline should make the turn hit real well. But I'm starting to wonder, and I think they're being vague about it to a degree on purpose. I'm starting to wonder whether it's Bailey turning face or whether it's damage control turning face. Like fans want to root for EO and Asuka. Bailey is the only one trying to lead the heels and cheat. I think the fans yeah. are so used to her being a heel that a face turn might actually be difficult, even though that's what she really needs and what I personally would want to see. It's going to be really interesting to see like the way this is booked and what the crowd's reaction to it is, because if the other damage control members don't help her cheat and she wins something and then turns on them, well, that should be her as a heel. They're the baby faces for not wanting to cheat. But it's also a group of women not helping their one friend, which makes her sympathetic. So I'm just really curious to see the way this is going to play out. But it's great that the women are now getting so much freaking time on SmackDown to wrestle night and day from 12 months ago. The only flaw with the match was that it was kind of slow. Maybe that's just Bailey. She's 34. She's not that long coming back from knee injury. Plus, it was a TV match. 3.5 stars B, real solid belt to bell. And like I said, probably five minutes ago when I started talking about this, good. Yeah, it's a good, like you said, you can't have one person turn on four <laughs> as, as like a to turn all four face. It's just it, you can't really do that. Right. You they know, have the, to the, turn the, on her. They to have be to turn face. on her. That's yeah. the only way it can go. But you're right. She is the one that gets booed the most. <laughs> right. The, other, the others don't. And it's also a little not inconsistent, but they didn't lean into it very long, which was remember they had that great vignette where like the five of us, we're going to run rough shot over this division. Right. And then they injure and they injure Charlotte. And then here we go. And then kind of just stop. And now they're not helping you. Now they're not helping Bailey. And so we're kind of back to where damage damage control was awesome for like a week or two. And now we're <laughs> kind of back to what they've been again, which is kind of disappointing. Um, match was good. It's got to be. They, they, they're they going to have to beat up Bailey or not help her or something, and she's going to turn face. It's the only way these things can go. Maybe Sasha Banks returns and helps her, and that's part of it or, or something like that. Uh, so we'll see. Um, also, for whatever reason, I put in my notes, Bianca looked incredible. She did. Uh, so yeah. so a, uh, uh, a, a hey now to her. It felt like not just that, but that she overall returned to being Bianca Belair. Like mm-hmm. for so long, she was doing formulaic matches and stuff and being able to work with Bailey and show a lot of unique moves and just unique sequences that we haven't seen from her. At least we didn't see from her when she was champion. It just felt completely refreshing, but based on what you were saying as well. It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now. We'll throw that in there too. Uh, Justin Hubbard at jhub2bs93, he wrote into us, how do you guys see this storyline playing out? Personally, I can see a scenario where Bailey wins the Rumble and the other damage control members urge her to challenge Rhea, but Bailey turns face and picks EO. Real Batista turning on Evolution vibes. 
WWE could have Bailey do a similar turn and in the process give her and Io a much deserved spotlight match with Bailey winning in the biggest moment of her career. That's completely plausible. I do think it is. Uh, another option is that one or more other damage control members are in the Royal Rumble and Bailey thinks they're going to help her, but they maybe they do for a little bit, then they cost her the match. Or it seems like they're going to cost her the match only for Bailey to get up on them and get babyface cheers during the match. It's also possible you mentioned Sasha Banks. And look, we think Mercedes is going to AEW based on others reporting, but there's the entire concept I laid out a few weeks ago of Bailey and Sasha Banks going after the tag team titles held by the Kabuki Warriors if they win them before WrestleMania. The Royal Rumble winner could be Liv Morgan or Jade Cargill or someone we don't even expect. I think we need to remember that WrestleMania title challengers don't have to come from the Rumble or Elimination Chamber. You can have, just for the women, let's make an example. The Rumble winner is Becky Lynch and she chooses Rhea Ripley. And then the Elimination Chamber match is just a title match. It's not a number one contendership. And Bailey, through storyline, works herself into becoming the number one contender or the challenger for EO Sky at WrestleMania. So many different ways you can do it, but I just wanted to lay all that out there. Any thoughts on Justin's booking or any other ideas that you have, Chris? I do think Bailey getting a moment at WrestleMania is something that hasn't happened as far as I can remember. No, it has not. Probably needs and probably needs to. So Bailey versus EO. I like that idea. However, we, however way we get there, could work. All right. We had DIY against Dominic Mysterio and JD McDonough. I'm pretty sure that the DIY entrance got an added lengthened intro, which improved it, even if the theme is still kind of weak. DIY hit a corkscrew plancha and a tope suicida, plus a nice tandem lariat that got a pop. Johnny Gargano nailed his slingshot spear. And Tommaso Ciampa hit like, Rainmaker-style forearm before DIY combined for, I don't even know how to describe this, an assisted lariat powerbomb backdrop. I mean, that's what the move was. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, McDonough caught Champa with a Spanish fly and moonsault. Gargano intercepted a 619 before Champa countered, devil inside into a DDT. DIY then combined for meet in the middle to get the one, two, three. This Arkansas crowd, I told you that it was not very filled, Due to the blizzard, I told you that they did not have much energy due to the blizzard. They were hot for DIY from the opening bell and only got hotter as the match went on. This was a three-segment match, great action throughout. A full crowd probably would have been insane for this, but it was by far the best presentation of DIY yet, and they got a needed win. I went 3.75 stars B+. I bet a lot of you think that's too low. This was good. And don't look now, Chris, but DIY are show name getting over, brother. They absolutely are. It, it, it's working. They're building them week to week. I like the promo into the entrance that they did, I think, a week ago as well. And their matches are getting over. Like, they are getting over through the wrestling. So that's good. They're clearly gearing up for a tag team title match pretty soon here. Mm -hmm. And that's all positive stuff. He got over. They are indeed getting over. Damian Priest backstage confronted our truth admitting he's funny, but saying he's going too far selling modified Judgment Day merchandise in the parking lot. I love that they're making merch an angle. This is so freaking funny. Uh, truth suddenly smacked a fat stack of Benji's into his hand, which made Priest laugh. Priest decided to let him sell the merch, but said to be quiet about it 
and not tag in during their match later in the night. There was tension later with Rhea Ripley when Priest walked into the clubhouse. He wondered why no one was addressing McIntyre calling him out. Everyone was on his case about truth until he pulled out the stack, which got their attention. He said truth earns for the crew, which was straight out of like a 90s New Jersey mafia gang drama or something like that. It was so freaking funny. So then we get Balor and Priest against Awesome Truth and obviously a non-title match. Truth was added to the Judgment Day AR graphic holding a live, laugh, love sign. I bursted out laughing for real, <laughs> like legitimately laughed out loud when I saw that on my screen. Then he entered walking behind them during the Judgment Day entrance. He got in the ring. Money starts pouring out of his pockets. So he scoops it up. He hands it to Balor and Dom. They stuff it in their pockets. Balor at one point yells to Dom and JD, yo, make sure you get all this and get it in my pockets. Um, and then JD is like, yo, Truth, where's my money? He's like, you got to be a member. You're not on the shirt. Like, whole deal. So Priest stopped <laughs> Truth from attacking late in the match, knowing that Truth wants to be in Judgment Day. And then he hit him with South of Heaven. He turned on him and Balor covered him for the one, two, three. They all celebrated over his body. The stuff with Truth continues to hit. Do not get me wrong, okay? The backstage stuff was great. The AR graphic was hysterical. But once we get past this Royal Rumble, they got to move on to something more serious because these guys are the tag team champions without any clear potential challengers other than DIY, despite there being a dozen tag teams across both of these brands. This was good, but it was disappointing that Priest hit South of Heaven on Truth and it got no reaction when that was supposed to be a major moment in this storyline. Fans were supposed to be outraged that he would turn on Truth to that degree. Again, not a large crowd due to the blizzard, and they were exhausted. I get it. No hate on them. But it was one of those, I told you, there was three or four missed opportunities on this show because of just happenstance. This was one of them. But like I said, I'm just, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to continue feeling good about this, given we're on the road to WrestleMania. But for now, Monday night, undoubtedly good. I, I, I'm back all in on this. I, I know the first time, I mean, like they've beaten up our truth before. And I, I had said, you know, like, that's when we need to do the big beatdown. It's got to turn serious. You got to do a Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn type of thing. Um, but they've kept it going and it's working because I don't think they really have anything else for Judgment Day right now, which is a separate problem. Right. But like factions should always be promoting their merch. That's like the classic wrestling thing. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense to tie that into the storyline here and R-Truth getting the money. Like that's all really funny. Like Priest, I, I also like, Priest said at the beginning of this, he said, you're a funny guy, which to me was the like kayfabe way of explaining all the times that he's breaking. You know, I, I, I don't think they could avoid it anymore. They could they have to lean into that truth is funny and they can laugh sometimes about it because if they don't, they can't not laugh about it because mm -hmm. it's too funny. <laughs> you know, So they kind of had to go into it and. Like he said, like, you're funny and you make money. That's why I'm keeping you around, which is good. That's yeah. the explanation. We've never really had the explanation of why they don't just beat the crap out of him all the time. They think he's kind of funny and harmless to have around. And so that makes sense. And Truth had actually said recently on Busted Open that Damian Priest was the one who kind of pitched to WWE to kind of do some more of this type of stuff. So like they seem to think it's, it's really working and it is. I don't know if priests South of heaven there was supposed to be the big turn moment or not, because if I recall correctly, truth was going to like hit 
Priest. He was, was but like he stopped him. Match he stopped him. He's like, hey, yeah. don't you want to be in Judgment Day? And he's like, yeah. Then he turns around, turns back, and hits him with the move. And that's... Yeah, but it was also like in the context of winning a match. You know, and, and, and Truth had gotten yeah. in the match. He had told him not to tag in. So I don't know if this was the big moment or not, but they do need to get a big moment where Truth is 100% formally kicked out of Judgment Day. It's not funny. It's serious. Right. People get hyped up about it. I don't know if that means awesome truth goes on to do something with them or what. You'll kind of need to figure out that next step. But uh, this was great this week. And you're right. Kind of after the rumble, as we kind of move forward, you will need to get to that point. Especially because don't forget, this guy does have money in the bank and he has not been a great money in the bank briefcase holder. Like he's just been dumb in some cases and they've started using it. There was a period of time where they allowed us to forget about it, which is what you want, but now they're using it too much. So it's just like not all working and they just got to figure out a way to put all the pieces together. I'm confident they will, but it still needs to be done. And the best, one of the best ways to do it is by getting out from underneath the R-Truth part of this. But again, if this is the storyline just until Rumble, Totally fine. They had time to kill. They had two months to kill. Great. After this, now it's Rhodes WrestleMania. You can't have our truth involved with the tag team champions and with the Money in the Bank briefcase holder. You got to separate them. You just do. Uh, Rhea Ripley opened hour three of Raw, restating that it was her division and her title. She did lose herself here and she completely froze. I think she just forgot the word opportunity when saying that whoever wins the Royal Rumble better not cash in on her unless they want to waste their shot. That immediately brought out Becky Lynch saying, They've taken similar roads going from being overlooked and afterthoughts to becoming faces of the industry. Lynch said the difference is she won the main event of WrestleMania and Rhea Ripley has not done that even though she's won at the show. Becky said Rhea has a natural ability, clear finesse power, the strength of a bear and basically might be the best women's wrestler in the company but that she, Becky, has the heart of a lion. She did this as they paced around the ring in a circle, unstopping. And I thought that was kind of captivating. Lynch admitted there's a voice that thinks Ripley might actually be better than her, meaning Becky needs to prove Rhea is not by winning the Royal Rumble and taking her title. Ripley said no one wants Lynch to win the Rumble more than herself, saying, Becky, I will see you at WrestleMania. This was short, sweet, and to the point. I'm not gonna be a broken record about Becky, but she's totally unmatched on the mic. This just effing delivered in every possible way. I loved the story they were telling here with these two. They're tops of the industry. They did not hide that. Becky is great when she's doubting herself and not purely confident. Circling each other with neither letting the other gain an inch of ground was just something you don't see with in-ring promos. It's two people. They stand across the ring. Maybe they move a little bit, but this was constant motion, and it was really captivating to watch that with so much put on the rumble here in this storyline. It gives me even more reason to believe someone else is going to take it with Lynch winning that number one contendership at Elimination Chamber and confronting Rhea Ripley on that show. I believe I booked that for all of us a week ago or two weeks ago where Ripley beats Nia Jax, Becky wins the number one contendership, confronts her after that match in Perth. Huge moment, makes all the sense in the world. Rhea struggled at first, but this still hit and it was an obvious good. It's unfortunate, again, I mentioned this, it was done in front of a half full crowd because of the blizzard, this would have been loud as hell and gotten a ridiculous reaction somewhere with a full house. This felt random as hell. Uh, we got Rhea Nia before. We've had Nia beat Becky Lynch. Why is Becky Lynch talking to Rhea right now? Right? 
like it it felt early. Mm, I know, disagree. It, 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 because like so as far as I know, we don't we do we have a Rhea Nia match set anywhere? We do not. The expectation is because the Royal Rumble is coming up that Jax will not win that and then she'll get her match at Elimination Chamber. Okay. Because like it's weird for Becky to come off a loss to Nia and be like, I'm coming after your title now. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You just lost you just lost to Nia Jax. Yeah, but like, she's I saying, let me let me clarify it. Maybe this helps you. She's saying she's coming after the title by going through the Royal Rumble. Yeah, I know, but it's just it's a weird it's a weird steps. Like she was building up and then she loses to Nia Jax, and then she's just gonna bypass that by winning the rumble. It's just a weird set of steps that we've been on. And I was not expecting the two of them here because I thought we were building to Rhea Nia at some point and that didn't happen this week. And it was very clear, like this was done to give you all the clips and images you're going to exactly. put in that vignette before the match at WrestleMania. Yes. They, they, they had the perfect camera shot where Becky's turned and looked at Rhea and the cameras lined up. Boom. There, there's your money shot. Like they got everything they needed. It was just weird to do this when it's like, I'm winning the Royal Rumble and I'm coming after your title. When I'm like, you just lost to Nia Jax. Nia Jax should be getting a shot before you. And it's just the order of the things in which they happen felt kind of weird. Like I almost, this almost would have been better to do before, uh, like before day one, even be like, I'm beating Nia and I'm coming for your title. Oh, she lost. Now what? Th th then she's doubting herself. And it's just the whole like, the, the promo kind of really turned when she's like, I don't know if I'm better than you. I was like, well, that's that's not Becky Lynch doubting herself doesn't work for me hmm. because Stone Cold Steve Austin never doubted himself. She's not we Stone Cold Steve Be Austin. She's Becky Lynch. We, lo we love Becky Lynch because of her confidence. Like that has always been the thing that is appealing about her, that we connect with her. It's. I'm going, I'm long winded here. I just, this was good. It was fine. It just felt random. Yeah. I, I could not disagree more. Um, good. I, we don't disagree. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I'm shocked at that. I, I think it's not that dissimilar from the Seth Rollins CM Punk confrontation. It, the difference being CM Punk had not just lost a match a couple of weeks prior, admittedly, but it's not that dissimilar from that in that you want to have that confrontation before the Royal Rumble match not after the person might have that. Also, you're trying to build the importance of the Rumble itself. So now you have people going into that match wanting this match. They want Becky Lynch to win because now more than ever, they want Becky and Rhea to fight each other. And when Becky doesn't win the Rumble, which again, maybe she will, but it's my expectation that she doesn't, then it's like, oh my God, are we not gonna get that? That's the ride they're trying to take the audience on. So I thought it was I agree. perfectly timed I just think, again, the atmosphere was off because of the blizzard, because of the energy level of the crowd. If you did this, let's just say this coming week in New Orleans, which is where Raw is going to be for the go-home to uh, Royal Rumble, I think it'd blow the roof off the place. It was extremely well done. And I also disagree. This is why I said I vehemently disagree with you. Um, Good. Becky Lynch, number one, she's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. Let's make that clear. But number two, she has layers to her character and personality. That's why she's so freaking good at this. So to have her come in the ring and say, you know, for once, I'm not coming into this. 
saying, I know I'm going to win. I know I'm the best and blah, blah, blah. I'm not big time Bex here. I'm not the man coming in. I'm just someone who sees you and says, holy shit, you are kicking ass. And in my head, I'm doubting myself. So I got to prove to myself that I, that I am better and that I can be better than you by beating you. And the only way for me to do that is to take your title. To me, that was nuance. It was uh, building layers of a character. It's not something that we get a lot in WWE where everyone is one note, where John Cena has to be super Cena. And even when he's supposed to, you know, hit rock bottom and then come back, he never actually does hit rock bottom, right? Becky Lynch has hit rock bottom or, or previously has. Uh, here, she's doubting herself a little bit coming out of losing to Nia Jax. Why did she have to lose to Nia before cutting this promo? Because it wouldn't make sense if she beat Nia two weeks ago and then came in here and said, I don't know that I can beat you. Well, how? You just beat Nia Jax. She's bigger, maybe not stronger, but she's bigger uh, than, than Rhea Ripley is. How can you doubt yourself? She just lost to Nia. Now she doubts herself going up against or wanting to go up against Rhea and needs to prove that that's an incorrect thought in her head, that she actually is better, that she actually has a larger heart, uh, and that that desire can push her past some of Rhea Ripley's natural gifts that she possesses, the strength, um, the finesse, all those things that Becky mentioned. I just thought it was that, nuanced and extremely well-delivered promo, and I love the storyline. I just thought if, if we had gotten in December, like several Rhea-Becky confrontations backstage stuff, and it was clear Becky's like, I'm coming for you. Watch out. I'm going to beat Nia Jax, and then I'm, I'm coming for you. And then she loses to Nia Jax, and we're like, oh, no, she's not going to get to Rhea like the Shawn Michaels Undertaker type of thing. Mm -hmm. She has a she, she she clearly has this path and then has the setback, but she's still focused on the path. We haven't we had like one sort of interaction. Maybe it no, just they've had like three. No, they've had like three or four. Like they had the main one backstage in October, but they also had one yes. preceding that. And they've also had one since then. I think it was in November or maybe December that they had it. So uh, they're not having these, it like just, where they're, they're not speaking to each other and they're not like these long drawn out things, but right. it's looking at each other from a distance, knowing the other one is out there waiting for them. That's the story they've been telling. Right. It's, I, they told, they, they said this in the promo Monday and I just don't think it had been made clear before that it's about Rhea as much as it is about the title. That had not been that had not been made clear. It just seemed like it was about the title. All right, and so we'll leave it at. We'll yeah, no, we're allowed that. to disagree. We'll, we'll, I'm glad we disagree. Yeah. It's, it's something now we get to see it play out, and not 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 so much see who is right, but see if you can come along, or if maybe I start agreeing with you as like this storyline transpires on the road to WrestleMania. I have a feeling you're going to come closer to my side, but at least for now, we're on different parts. But you still thought it was good. You said right. You, that's the grade you gave it. You just didn't yes. love it. Okay, fair enough. At least we know. Uh, where we stand. Uh, Logan Paul in a tape promo said he contacted lawyers about Kevin Owens using his cast and showed off a legit bruise on his face from the shot last week. He said the only way they will wrestle at Royal Rumble is if KO enters without his cast. Otherwise, the match is off. Owens later cut through all the bullshit, saying his hand is broken and everyone knows Paul is just trying to make an excuse. He was none too amused and he wants a face-to-face -face next week to discuss it on the KO show. Short, sweet, to the point again from Logan. Owens was even better and almost like with a get the F out of here you know, type of promo, which plays into the character that we love so much. It remains frustrating that the top two male champions on SmackDown are not on the show weekly. 
it obviously makes sense given both of their situations and the fact Logan is going to drop the title at WrestleMania, but it does hurt the show. Consider how much better SmackDown was last week with both of them there compared to this week with both of them not there. Still, it was good overall. We're getting Logan on TV live next week. That's a positive. The guy is doing so well that I actually want to see him. Like, I never would have yeah. said that. Imagine saying that two years <laughs> ago. You wouldn't have said it, but it was good. Uh, yeah, this was good. Liked it. Only thing, this is really nitpicky. Um, this was definitely recorded last week when Logan was in town. And it was done. It was Both of them, like. Yeah. Yeah, it, but it was like done with that very like professional WWE lighting setup where mm -hmm. it looked like he was like in the locker room as opposed to Logan being at home and doing it himself or something like that. And then Kevin Owens reply is was kind of the thing you've had before, which was 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 Kevin Owens live in his response like or, or was that a tape? It was either live or later. It's different. It's very different than what AEW does. What AEW does is have. People, yeah. they, they do two promos. They air them simultaneously and they have yes. someone make a point and then someone respond to it, but they know the entire context of what they're saying, yet they're still somehow responding despite both promos being taped. This was one taped promo. The idea being Kevin Owens then saw that promo and responded to it. That's 100% fine. It's totally different. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Th this one just... Well, I wasn't sure. And there have been a couple of these Logan KO promos where it's not exactly clear. Again, this is really nitpicky. I just bring it up because we have criticized AEW for that stuff in the past. Um, it's different, though. That's the I, problem. I, the thing I always say about AEW is if you want to do that, fine. Have one promo and then do the next promo after the fact. They saw it and now they're responding to it. And AEW does do that sometimes, but it's when they don't do it that I have a problem with it. This one, it was, yeah. again, one Owen saw it. He said, I saw what you said. Here's everything that you said to me. Here's why you're a piece of shit. And I don't want to fight you next week. Like, yeah, it's it's very A and B versus A and B intertwined with each other is what I'm trying to. Explain. Yeah, it, it, it was good. I'm really looking forward to these two guys getting together. Uh, it's been really, really good stuff. And I just wish we would get more of them face to face because it's it's that good. Yeah, no question. All right. Ludwig Kaiser did a grand introduction of Gunther, who got some cheap heat, though he didn't exactly lie about Arkansas, the things he said. He talked about lasting longer than any man in history in oh. last year's Royal Rumble, uh, promising to enter it again and win this year. Then he turned to praising Kaiser for taking out Kofi Kingston as Xavier Woods made his return with a challenge. Gunther dipped out, allowing Kaiser to speak for himself and accepting the challenge. So we got Woods against Kaiser. This was hard hitting. Uh, Woods' mouth got busted open. He had a drop kick through the ropes. Kaiser flew over the announce table. Then he dodged the same desk chair shot that Kofi Kingston took. So he dumped the chair onto Kaiser and got disqualified. Then he grabbed the steel chair, only for Kaiser to boot him in the face. Kaiser tried to do the same steel steps shot as last week, but Woods caught him. Kaiser then ducked a steel steps toss that hit the post and he ran away. Then Kaiser attacked Woods backstage only to get pulled off by Jay Uso, who continues to have New Day's back. Let me state off the top that technically there was nothing wrong with any of this, but none of it worked for me. Maybe it was the empty crowd, but Gunther's return was immensely boring and directionless. I'd have much preferred them start a feud that could have played into the Royal Rumble and then continued out of it. Then Woods returns after six or seven weeks only to be met with crickets. Again, the crowd, the blizzard, whole deal. Still, that's what happened. And the match had no heat on top of it after Kaiser has been getting a ton of heat in his matches for weeks. The post-match was fine. 
it seems like we're going to get new Jay versus Imperium soon, and then Jay maybe goes after Gunther. That's probably a conversation for another day because we have the Jimmy Uso storyline that we think should pick back up for WrestleMania. Anyway, I'm going with bad here. Not in the true sense of the word because nothing was wrong with it, but I could not get excited for any of these segments and for Gunther to make his big return and it to be that bland was immensely disappointing. Yeah, I was going to give it a bad as well. And it's not necessarily because of effort. It This did have an intensity to it that New Day stuff often doesn't. But a lot of these injuries and bang-ups, just things keep getting reshuffled. You know, the, the Vinci a concussion a couple weeks ago, and now Kofi's banged up in some form. And it just, I can't figure out where they're going. And I think it just kind of keeps changing week to week based on who's available. And so it was a it was a good effort. But this was, I think, a, a step back. So I'm going to say bad. Yeah, just to clarify, the Woods and the Vinci injuries are real. The Kofi one is cave mm-hmm. just to put everyone on the same Sure, page. but I just, it is, I think that's just part of it. It's hard to get connected to it because guys keep moving in and out. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. I think it's been rickety to a degree. It's not landing the way it's supposed to land. And again, we'll see what happens as we go forward. Uh, Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits stormed to the ring wearing open dress shirts with rolled sleeves and jeans or maybe matching navy slacks. It was tough to tell, but they were wearing that instead of their full suits. He called out the heels, saying they handled their business face to face, not in the shadows. The lights went out. Paul Ellering appeared on the ramp, signaling to the Titantron, where Karrion Cross and Scarlet appeared in a produced promo package saying their goal was to cause chaos and authors of pain then were there to help uh, usher in a new era. He also called Ellering the most sadistic and inhumane person in the world, saying they are the final testament. Then their music played, but they never showed. Kind of incredible that they've been on screen twice and already have a name and a purposeful announcement, whereas Lashley and the Prophets first appeared together, Chris, in August, more than five full months ago, and not only have done nothing, but have no name still. Other than that, I thought the faces actually looked better, getting less gussied up, and the package for Final Testament was excellent. It's somehow the most I've ever cared about Cross already, and it's only been two weeks. This is good. I'm shocked. Yeah, this is good. It's been a couple of weeks of good Cross vignettes. Yeah. I think those are generally his strength. He comes across more confident and sure of himself there sometimes more than live and i like this group i wasn't on last week to talk about it but i i love it it's just a bunch of badass people teaming up who's in charge i don't know i don't care <laughs> they, just, they look cool they look cool and they do got got the upper hand on last year in the profits and uh it's working so far but so and this was it's it's been good by the way love the name final testament authors of pain whole thing works together and Ellering, he had the white glove on the opposite hand. I don't know why, but he did. I don't know. I can't believe it, right? The Lashley Profits thing we've been criticizing. Cross largely gets criticized. Somehow, this is working. And I love that Profits and Lashley are face. Give them a name. Give them an official purpose. Let's actually get rolling with these guys now that they're baby faces. There's a good chance that they can get over in a major way going up against Final Testament. LW, my, my, my biggest, my only criticism, my only criticism of this new group is that they continue to, is that commentary, they continue to refer to AOP as AOP 
uh, like on first reference when authors I know. of pain it's so much better is a it's such a better name it's yeah. an awesome name just go with that we don't need the shorthand you're right but it, we're also coming from it like a journalism world where first reference you give the full name but you're right it should be authors of pain at least the first time and then if you want to say aop after that that's fine yeah. but they need to make sure they say authors of pain uh, LWO fought Angel and Umberto. The heel trio looked great during a pre-match promo package with Santos Escobar saying they're there to restore honor and tradition. Now, they're it seems like they're going to have a name. They might be called Familia Legato or just Legato or Legato del Fantasma or Legato World Order. I'm not sure, but Legato is going to be involved. And they said different variations of these on commentary and during the package. So I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be. Also notable is that Angel and Umberto, they no longer had those scratch marks on their chest like they had the final few days of NXT when they were there, but their gear still has those same marks. So I just wanted to note that for people who watch NXT. Zelina Vega came out with LWO. Santos was on commentary trashing all of them. There was a fun spot where Angel pulled the middle rope down. So Cruz del Toro flew outside while he was running the ropes. Legato had a double toss drop of Joaquin Wilde off the ropes, and Umberto rolled him up into a spinning Liger Bomb, only to eat a Poison Rana coming back. Del Toro hit a running springboard dropkick, an Escalera Tornillo when Car Carlito's music hit, and he attacked Escobar from out of the crowd. Angel nevertheless caught Wilde with a sit-down cover, grabbing the bottom rope for leverage and the win. The heels absolutely needed to win this to establish themselves, but this was fun as hell. They had some real nice sequences and spots, it feels like a six-man is probably coming soon. Rey Mysterio maybe makes the save at the end of that. I'm curious to see how far and how long this goes, including whether Bad Bunny gets involved, if they somehow figure out a way to stretch it all the way to WrestleMania. But this was a really fun TV match. Love the presentation of Santos, Angel, and Umberto Legato, whatever you want to call them. LWO does need to get some wins at some point, but this was good. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. Uh, I give it a like good. Um, really liking what Escobar is doing. I believe that was his NXT music that he got back. That's uh, the original NXT. Legato. They used it in on SmackDown also, but yes, it's his original music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so like that. Um, yeah, it's good. It, it, not a ton going on, but I, I'm enjoying it. It would also be cool if at some point, and I don't know if that many of you realize this because I'm not sure how old the, our listenership is per se, but it would be cool if there was an acknowledgement from Angel and Umberto that their uncle was an original LWO member from back in WCW, especially if they call themselves Legato World Order, then that would make all the sense in the world. I just thought I'd point that out. Carmelo Hayes fought Austin Theory. So Melo was backstage with Aldis, who put him over for impressing during that United States Championship tournament. Melo was about to ask for a Royal Rumble spot when Waller and Theory popped in talking shit. That led to the match. Mello later got a short introductory video package before, and he had a smoke-filled entrance too. Hayes hit the fadeaway inside in a spiked DDT over the ropes, where Theory's shoulder hit the apron. Theory came back with a rolling dropkick, but Hayes did this really cool move where he sat on the middle rope and hit a vertical suplex off the apron inside. Then he had a twisting springboard lariat. All real cool. Theory then did his seated Spanish fly, but there was a strange delay coming off the ropes. I think Theory didn't spring right. Mello jumped late. And Theory also may have sprung himself harder, almost to compensate. The result was the side of Theory's head slamming into the canvas on the landing. And I think Mello's head landed on Theory's head when he came down as well. Mm -hmm. Gnarly spot. 
they were moving around and it did not seem to be in an emergency situation. But man, that sucked. They called the match immediately. I hope they don't ban the move because it's been hit clean so many times. This was just a mistake. It's also kind of strange that we've gotten two concussion stoppages in like as many weeks. It was good until it stopped. And the grade of good actually goes to the referee. He stopped it immediately, threw up the X, made sure both guys didn't move. It's exactly what you need to do in this situation. Obviously, it's an unfinished match, but this is what happened on SmackDown. Yeah, my first note was tremendous job by the referee. He was on top of that immediately. Uh, so good out, good for him on that. It sucks to have what, two of these two weeks in a row mm-hmm. on top of all the other injuries we've uh, had happen. So um, hopefully this stops happening. It just seems like bad luck. I, I don't know if all of this is tied together through too much work or too many risky moves or or what. But I think um, it's happenstance. I just think sometimes shit happens. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Charlotte's was what? Charlotte's injury came, I think, from falling off the rope yeah. in a weird way. Like she hits that, so she I, does that moonsault all the time, doesn't hurt herself, and it happens to fall off a rope and tears her ACL. Yeah. You know? Just uh, hope everybody can be careful and be okay. Uh, Tyler Bate met Butch at a coffee bar with Butch basically saying he didn't want a partner and Bate saying that he saw Butch smile when he showed up. Bate got into his meditation and mindfulness gimmick. But Butch said their team was in the past, just like the Brawling Brutes. Bate protested, given that they have a chance to show the world what British Strong Style is all about. And Butch got real serious thinking about it when Bate said he needed to find himself again. This was very similar, I mentioned this at the top of the show, to the package they did with Caden Carter and Katana Chance at the club two weeks ago, in that it was outside the arena, which was a huge positive, but the setup seemed overly contrived and fake. Like, you should be doing this at a real club, at a real coffee shop not in a fake set that you make. It makes it look fake. Like you just got to improve the production of that. I do wish that in this segment, they played into their NXT UK history a little bit more, maybe a package of highlight clips that could have been weaved in and around it so that people who are unfamiliar better understand their relationship. I mean, Tyler Bates, the first NXT UK champion, Butch, I think he beat Butch in that match and then Butch ended up winning the title from him. Like there is a legit story and relationship between these two. But the reason this gets a good beyond it being different and showcasing a new talent who joined the roster. There, Chris, was a strong tease here that Pete Dunne may be returning, and not just in name, but in personality. I actually wouldn't mind seeing William Regal get involved here and work with both of these guys, but that might be a step beyond legitimate expectation. I still thought it could have been executed better, but it does get a good for me. Uh, I give it a light good. It was fine. Um... With, with with Tyler Bate coming back last week, I didn't think they did a good enough job like hyping him up. I still don't think they've done a good enough job like really explaining who this guy is if you didn't watch him in NXT. They haven't. You're right. And so they're like immediately jumping into these guys used to be friends, but they haven't really shown us that yet either. So it's like you got to like lay the kind of got to like lay the path out for us first before we start to connect to these other things. Um, I don't like, this is nitpicky. I don't like the long hair on Tyler Bate. I thought he looked <laughs> a lot better with short hair. I agree. Back. Actually, I do. It, it just, it looks dirty. Yeah, it does. It looks dirty. You're right. And cause he was, he's a, like the short hair, the old Tyler Bate, like good looking dude when it was him and Trent seven doing all that stuff. Um, so, but I, I like, I like, I like what they're going for here. I don't, 
I'm also someone who hates saying strong style in kayfabe because it implies that all other wrestling is not not of trying to like hurt your opponent. But um, if they just said, hey, we want to show them what British wrestling, British wrestling is all about or whatever like that, uh, I think it connect a little bit better. Nitpicky there. Um, but it's good. I hope Pete Dunne comes back. It seems like they're going down that path. I just would like a little more introspection. Um, why he went by Butch when he used to be a rabid animal and now he's not, <laughs> you know, like kind of tie that all together. Give us their history together. Show us the old clips, show us all this stuff. Um, and then you're good. Yeah. It's like going from being like a Tasmanian devil to being a bear. You know, it's like two totally different types of, you know, characters. How do you make that transition? It does seem like they're doing it, but I would appreciate a little bit more storytelling. And that's what I was getting at with like the video package. Had they showed some of their NXT UK stuff and mixed it in here, or had we seen that last week after the fact, maybe when they teamed, it would have allowed us to understand and buy into it better. Another thing is they could have done a video package this week and saved this for next week. But I wouldn't be surprised. Remember last year at the Royal Rumble, we're sitting there during the women's match and all of a sudden Piper Niven comes on screen instead of Dewdrop, and everyone popped for that. Like when she came to the ring, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if we get to the men's Royal Rumble and like we're set for Butch to come out and it says Pete Dunn on the screen and everyone pops in almost the same way. So look for that. Yeah. Just a little inkling I have. I don't know that it's happening. I just kind of have a feeling. So let's keep that in the back of our minds as the Royal Rumble approaches. Akira Tozawa fought Ivar. Tozawa countered midair with a DDT, but Ivar countered next with a really cool swinging power slam. Maxine Dupree distracted during a doom salt that allowed Tozawa to catch him with a sunset flip powerbomb and a stack cover for the upset. One, two, three. Valhalla immediately attacked Maxine. Ivar took Tozawa's head off with a roundhouse kick. Then Ivar hit the doom salt like a third of the way into the ring. It was pretty damn impressive to end it. Later backstage, Chad Gable and Ivy Nile both decided they would get even for Tozawa and Dupree, respectively. I'd have preferred an extra 90 seconds that we got in the post-match to go to the match instead of just the heels winning and, and beating them down after actually losing. The surprise win was fun, but the energy level was zapped immediately because of the way they booked it. I see it was necessary because of the story they were telling. I just really wouldn't have done it. Plus, like Gable... Let's not forget how over this guy was. I just want him involved with something more important. If he beats Ivar next week, that's good, obviously, for his progression. I'm going to give this a light good on its own, but I'm done with like the Alpha Academy Ivar deal. It feels repetitive. We need to move on. Yeah, we just... It's one of those things where it's like, what, a month and a half ago, they hit on something pretty funny with Tozawa, and then that just stopped everything everybody else was doing right and there's no gable nothing there's very little otis going on maxine's doing some stuff and now it's about tozawa winning matches so it's like okay but like that's not the most important thing it's the the least important thing actually out of all yeah tozawa winning here actually popped me i thought it was pretty funny i was like oh they kind of paid this all off but then to have Ivar do what he did at the end, I was like, well, then what was the point? Like, what is the point of getting over on a bad guy if he immediately gets over by the end, gets back over by the end of the segment? Right. Let it fester a bit. Then he takes out his anger. 
have Ivar have Ivar attack him backstage 20 minutes later, and then Gable stands up for him. Gable and Otis chase Ivar away, and Gable's like, I'm going to fight you next week. That's all you need to do. Yeah, and they kind of did that, I think, with Kaiser and Woods, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, DQ situation, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, so like, just, I hate... I hate it was the same thing when when they started to beat up our truth. And then at the end of the segment, our truth was like standing strong in the ring. <laughs> I was like, no, what do you, you you did the thing and then you just erased it. You know, just have Ivar win if that's what you're doing. What what does the Tazawa win mean at this point? It meant nothing. It meant nothing. So yeah. I'm like, I it was a good up until the end. And now I'm like 50 50 on it. I'm actually going to switch to a bad just because of the post. I'm kind of, oh man, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I give my grade. I'm not going to change, but. I said light good because it was literally borderline. And in fact, that was one of three in a row that are borderline for me. So let's go ahead and get to the other two. Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell fought Piper, Niven, and Chelsea Green. This was built through a backstage segment with Adam Pierce. The faces got a video package showcasing their NXT success and lack of success on Raw, which I thought was really cool that they addressed that. They also said, we are doing it our way. And then when they walked to the ring, they did the way hand gesture. And after they entered... Wade Barrett actually mentioned the old faction. Loved all of that. Piper missed a Vader bomb early. Candice then took Chelsea down with a codebreaker off of Piper's back. And the faces combined for a draping assisted springboard moonsault on Chelsea. She was just a bit too far in the ring. She was like halfway into the ring. Needed to be a third of the way. But the baby faces got the win. And the same referee that Green had an issue with last week was the referee in this match. So they might be telling the story there. Here I'm going to go light good because we got another women's tag team featured. The match had a decent amount of time allocated. Even if it could have used a few more minutes, it was still decent. And this was actually the best and most cohesive that Candice and Indy have looked as a team since they got on the main roster. Plus, they actually got a win, and both of them have been doing nothing but lose. There was some clear clunkiness throughout. It's probably just a matter of reps for them. That's why it's a light good instead of a full good. I'm, I'm going to do like good as well like you said hey we're getting more women's tag team stuff that's good i just think i just kind of didn't like it coming at the expense of chelsea and piper who i think are fantastic together and they showed it here in that backstage segment chelsea was great uh in, in that as well and samantha urban's still not doing the chelsea green intro i don't know if we ever got a reason as to why that stopped but that is i just noticed that that is I guess, permanently stopped, which is disappointing. Uh, maybe it's only when they're champions. I don't know. Uh, so, I'm like, it was fine. It was a light good. I just, I don't care about about uh, Indy and um, Candice LeRae together. I you just, don't I care don't, about them yet? I care. No, I don't. Right, I care about Chelsea and Piper because they've been entertaining. Right. They got to get you to care about Candice and Indy. And my thought yeah. was that this was the start of it. I do want to make one correction. I said this got a decent amount of time. It actually didn't. That was a note for the next match. Uh, I wanted this to get more time. My frustration, the reason it's a light good is because it did not get enough time. I wish it had another two minutes, but everything else I said stands. I just want to clarify that. Uh, Tegan Knox and Natalia fought uh, Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark. This was also built through a backstage segment, but it was a much thinner premise than the prior match. The champions watched on TV. Baszler blind tagged as Stark was getting beaten. Zoe failed fling herself over the top rope. Tegan's leg got pulled as she tried a heart attack. And Shayna caught Natty in a deep chokehold for the submission victory. This was not dissimilar from the prior match, but it was just less fun in almost every way. 
This got legit time, whereas the other one did not. That was a positive. But the action was much more boring. And I looked at both, and I think one was five minutes and one was 3.30. And I just said to myself, why would you not have done one match that was 8.30 or seven minutes and use that extra time for something else? It didn't make sense for me why they did it this way. Both matches felt like they were thrown on the show. Maybe some of that was because the weather and things that were planned had to get moved around, travel issues. I can give a break for one week, but it almost would have been better to build both matches in a single extended segment so that there was more meat on the bone to both of them. There's something else I need to say about the women's tag team division. I'm going to save it in a moment. Overall, though, there's been a clear improvement over the last month plus in terms of building the division. There are now seven legitimate teams, easily more than there ever has been before, and they're all getting TV time. But whereas I gave the last one a light good, I'm going to give this one a light bad. It was just on the other side of the line for me. Yes, it felt random. It felt like it was just in there to take some time to get us to Seth Jinder to close the show. Exactly. Um, and yeah, just hasn't connected. They're trying with Tegan and Natalia. Shayna and Zoe, I don't know. It, you feel it's hard because you feel like you want to say they need more time for us to kind of get into all of them, but they're pretty loaded shows. Like there's yeah, very little on raw where I'm like, eh, I don't need that. So th- they're trying to get a lot of people in and they are clearly trying to get the women's tag team division growing similar to how they kind of rebooted and recharged the singles division. So they're trying. Yeah, they are. Now, this is the other thing I wanted to talk about with the women's tag team division. We can move on after this. It was announced on SmackDown that Unholy Union is going to get a women's tag team title match next week. This makes zero sense. Okay, the teams have not had a single interaction on TV, let alone a storyline build for a title match. Unholy Union has only appeared live outside of a video package like one time in four months, maybe one time in six months. And when they appeared, they distracted the Kabuki Warriors. They haven't wrestled on TV since June. That was six months ago. What the hell have they done to deserve a title match? I'm glad the titles are going to be defended on both brands again, and they're getting the cases on SmackDown, but there is no excuse whatsoever for this. They have five hours of TV this week. They could have had Unholy Union do something on Raw to hurt the champions or scare them backstage or anything and then announce the title match on Friday. They could have done anything. They have done absolutely nothing. And they even, in fact, WWE, published a social media promo package for the KCs. This was ahead of SmackDown. But even in that package, there was nothing about this match, nothing about Unholy Union. It was just the same type of thing that we've seen from them in prior weeks. Why should the fans watching at home give a shit about the challengers? I hate to say it, but this is like international TBS title booking in AEW. There's nothing to grade because nothing actually happened on screen. But when I saw this announced and I was like, look, they're doing much better with the women's tag team division. I praise WWE all the time for having title matches and matches in general that make storyline sense or have some storyline relevance. Again, the two women's tag team matches we just pointed out, they gave them storyline reasons for happening, even though they were thin, they did it. That's where AEW, they just don't do it. They announce random matches for no storyline reason. I criticize it all the time, but this is that. This was an AEW booking in that they gave a title match to a team that doesn't deserve it, hasn't even been on TV, and it makes absolutely zero sense. 
zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. And Chris, I say this despite A, loving the KCs and B, loving Unholy Union and begging for them to get TV time. And yet it still pisses me off. And it, it devalues the belts when you do that. Yeah, you have the you had, totally. you had two matches on you had two matches on Raw of people winning them. They actually won the matches. Even get yeah. they're not even the ones who get the thing. So strange. All right, before we get to the last word, real quick, just because it's one week out, I wanted to quickly run down the Royal Rumble card as it's booked. There's only four matches, so it should take us no time. Uh, the main one, undisputed WWE Universal Championship: Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, LA Knight, AJ Styles. It's not going to happen. There's an interesting option that exists, Chris, in this match. And that would be to actually have Orton come out with the title and feud with Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. And that would free Reigns up to fight The Rock on that show. Cody could still finish his story and win the WWE title. It's not going to happen. I'm just saying it's plausible. Wanted to put it out there. Uh, Yeah. I mean, my other thought was like, if Seth, um, I'm sorry, this is the other match. It's, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I think all four guys feel like a big deal. You know, they, they've set this up pretty well. Looking forward to it. Do not think Randy Orton is winning. Roman no, Reigns is, no. is winning this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and it could set some things for WrestleMania coming out of it. Yeah, for sure. United States Championship, Logan Paul, Kevin Owens. I don't even have anything to say on it. So I think we can just skip over. Uh, Men's Royal Rumble. There are now six men announced. And by the way, we're a week out. Last year, we were really critical. They announced like 18 or 20, 22 people before the match began. So far, so good. Only six. Cody Rhodes, CM Punk, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and Gunther. What I think is notable is that it's fun how many storylines are being built for the match versus just having one guy who like you pretty much know is going to win like last year with Cody and 29 other dudes who enter without much rhyme or reason. My one problem is literally only Lashley has mentioned it on the SmackDown side. It feels like no one on the blue brand even cares about potentially getting a WrestleMania main event. Yeah, that that's that's part of it. I agree with you that um, I like that they don't announce, like tell us like a couple of key people in it and then don't tell us anyone else. The fun is the surprise. Right. And we're probably going to get it, by the way. By the time, like what, next week, the go-home shows, we'll probably get one of those graphics that has like I really people. hope not. Ugh. And I'm going to be annoyed when I happens. really hope they don't do that. I mean, last year they were way ahead of this pace. So let's hope that's yeah, not what it, they do. Look, and it's always been inconsistent. Like someone just says they're in the rubble and they're in. What is the, what is the, how do you get in? What does that go? They've never explained it. They've never had to or whatever. So you're right to the point where only Lashley's talking about it. Yeah. Everybody else should be talking about it, but also everybody should just declare for the rumble. I don't know <laughs> what makes you, you can or can't. So right. I, if you're Chad Gable, why haven't you just said, I declare for the Royal rumble, like Michael Scott in the office. I declare bankruptcy. It's like that. It's not how it works necessarily, yeah, but why not do it? You know, <laughs> yeah, what it should be is it should, you know what they should do is your top stars who, you know, are going to be in it. They declare and Nick Aldis and Adam Pierce can say you're in, but everybody else who declares they're essentially entered into a lottery and we don't know if they'll be there or not. And so you have everybody like Chad Gable being like, I'm making my case to be in the rumble. I believe I should be in the rumble. Instead of everybody saying, I declare for the rumble, they say, I should be in the rumble. And then we, some of them don't show up and then we don't know who's in and who's not and stuff like that. So it would just explain it. Well, I think you should have a group that gets in by name and by experience and success, a group that wins their way in. So maybe 
Aldis and Pierce yeah. are evaluating matches that they book on TV. And mm-hmm. over a three-week span, Chad Gable wins two matches. He gets told, you got a spot. He gets to celebrate. Now you know Gable's in the match, right? And yeah. Then you have, And then everyone else is a surprise. And it's either because it's random draw or it's surprise returns or whatever the case might be. Like I said, they have six announced. For me, the threshold is 15. If you want to do half and you want to announce half, that's totally fine. The other 15 need to be surprises. And they don't need to be surprises like returning people who we don't think are going to be in the match where we're shocked. But it needs to be things that we don't know are going to happen or where they're going to happen. Last year, they ruined it by promoting that Cody was returning from injury in the match. And then they gave him the 30th spot. That was like the worst thing they possibly could have done last year. It was, I mean, him winning was fine and the match was good and like it all worked out. But the 2022 Royal Rumble was a disaster. 2023 was a perfectly good match with a really good final two of Cody and Gunther and some of the 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 mm-hmm. way the way the match progressed was good, but it wasn't that exciting in terms of the entrance. Correct. Um, and I will also say that if you just look at the way things have been done recently, there's a lot of superstars who haven't been on TV, haven't been around, where it's like pretty clear they're probably going to return in the match. Like I wouldn't be surprised. Don't, don't don't say it. Don't say it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about a surprise return to someone who hasn't been around. I don't want to hear it. Well, just people who are been on TV recently, but are taking injuries. This is what I was going to say, but fine, I'll, I'll leave him I, out. I, I I'll leave him out. I, I won't say it. I won't it. say any of those. The one person though, who I will say that I do expect to be in the match because we talked about it on the show for weeks is, you know, now that Gunther's in the match, I do expect Brock Lesnar to return in this match and go face to face with Gunther. Maybe they eliminate each other. Maybe that leads to a WrestleMania match. There's a lot of different cool things that they can do with Lesnar if he returns here. So I'll just say that. That would be fun. I'll let it go. Women's Royal Rumble, only four announced right now. Becky Lynch, Nia Jax, Bailey, Bianca Belair, two Raw, two SmackDown. You know, there's nothing really to say. Only thing I will say about both Rumbles combined, I do miss when they were a little bit more unpredictable. Where when you went in, like you had a feeling one or two people could possibly win, but you also thought it could be one of five or six other people. And like, think about how fresh it was when someone wins the Royal Rumble who's not main evented WrestleMania before or who hasn't won a world title before, like Drew McIntyre, when he won on that road to WrestleMania against Brock Lesnar. That was freaking great. I want more of those people winning, like when Bianca Belair won, right? Um, Although, had she been a champion before? I don't remember. I don't think she had. Uh, But like Bianca Belair would be a great example or like Liv Morgan winning it. Yeah. Um, Or like whoever the case might be, someone that's fresh versus like, Cody or CM Punk or Seth Rollins, you know what I mean? The people that like, you know, are already on the top of the card. Yeah. Like going into this, like if we come out of with a Royal Rumble winners of like Cody Rhodes and Becky Lynch, like those are, they, those would both be two time winners and appropriate, but also boring. Right. Yeah. It, it, It was fun when Royal Rumble winner was like crowning your next star that has kind of moved on to money in the bank anyway. It has, and unfortunately, Money in the Bank has not been used well to that end. So they changed it and haven't really succeeded with that change, at least as of late. And that's been a frustration as well. All right, that was an extended edition, let's call it, of the good, the bad, and the ugly. That allows us to wrap up this show with the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a sp- pop 
open in a second. That's why we always say the best cut lasts to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. So Lance T wrote in, he said, I've been looking for wrestling shows and movies to watch like Iron Claw. What are your thoughts on that film? And do you have any other recommendations? I realized, Chris, you and I both on this show talked about seeing Iron Claw, but we weren't going to review it right away because we wanted to give everyone else a chance to watch it. I think it has now been long enough. I feel like it's been a month, maybe, if not longer, uh, that it's been out. So before we get into some of our other thoughts on this subject, uh, what did you think about Iron Claw? I'll give you my thoughts and uh, we'll go on here. It was fantastic. It was really well done. Really depressing. Yeah. Zach Efron was fantastic. He really carried this. But also it did a good job where you could feel the love of the brothers. It wasn't just about their individual re- relationship with Fritz, their dad. They they together had a relationship when they go off to the party and, and do some certain things. Uh, you needed that and, and you got that. My biggest criticism was I felt like it could have gone another like 10 to 15 minutes. Exactly. And just kind of gone into that a little bit more. It, it almost felt a little bit rushed uh, for whatever reason. Because um, it was really good. Like I just, I, I came out of it being like, man, I like, I kind of wanted more of that because it was just really, really well done. So uh, props to A24, to everybody who, who put that together. Uh, there's a really good um, uh, Texas Monthly story about the Von Erichs before most of the brothers had died that I went back and read after this. It's really good as well. Read anything about the Von Erichs. If you didn't know the story, it's even more depressing and heartbreaking than the movie was. Mm-hmm. Didn't include Chris Von Erich, one of the brothers. Right. Uh, they kind of merged two brothers into one. Um, but yeah, it was great. I, I really, really well done. The wrestling was really good. It didn't feel cheesy or anything like that. Uh, so took some liberties with some of the stories, but really good. Yeah. I gave it a full point three. I gave it a 4.3 out of five. There you go. Uh, I thought it was excellent as well. I completely agree for me as great as Zac Efron was. And he was great. Uh, Holt McCallany, I believe is how you say his name. The guy who played Fritz was, he stole the show as far as, I mean, I don't know that you could have put a better Fritz von Eric on screen than that guy. You wanted to hate him, right? Like you knew he loved his kids and his wife and his family and, and wrestling and all that. But also, you just couldn't help but think this guy is an absolute piece of shit, right? Um, I, 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 I'm not not piece of shit. He was responding. I mean, he, he, in the movie, the way they told, I'm saying, in the movie, the way he was, <laughs> like personified to a degree, he was responsible for his son's deaths. Where in they, reality, they, they, that was not like that, totally yeah. the case. Yes. So that's why I'm saying it's kind of the way he was made to look in the movie. But at the same time, what you said, they took a lot of liberties with the story. Removing one of the brothers entirely, obviously is a huge part of it. If you really want the best dramatic retelling, really the dark side of the ring on the Von Erichs does a fantastic job at laying out the story as well as possible. But like the Von Erich curse wasn't exactly the way it was portrayed in the movie. That's the word I was looking for portrayed, not personified. Uh, that that was a little bit different. Um, some of the facts on WCCW and the way that transpired was a little bit different as well, including the WWE career of Texas Tornado. You know, um, mm-hmm. that was a little bit 
different the way Carrie was portrayed and with Jeremy Allen White. I also don't believe Carrie was actually up for an Olympic team. I don't think that was true. So there's I, I a lot up, of factual. He was, tra- he was training, but he wasn't like on the team. He wasn't going to make it. Like no matter what happened, he wasn't going to make it. Uh, and I will also say that there are other folks in the film who did a great job. I actually thought just Chavo Guerrero as the Sheik was, it was kind of fun to see him be the Sheik uh, for a moment. The guy who played Bruiser Brody, I thought looked the part really well. Um, Ryan Nemeth, uh, so Nick Nemeth's brother, Dolph Ziggler's brother was Gino Hernandez. It was kind of cool. It's funny to me that MJF was basically cut out of the film. He got five seconds. Um, (laughs) That was kind of interesting. I think he was Lance Von Erich, who was not a real Von Von Erich. They tried to say he was a cousin. Yeah, I think they were going to, I think they were going to like go into that a little bit and they just cut those scenes. So you only saw him as part of a montage in a match. That was kind of funny. But Chris, what we really need to talk about is the guy who played Ric Flair. Yeah. Was absolutely atrocious. And let me be clear, okay? There's a difference between portraying a real person in a film, which is what this was, and doing an impression of someone like Ric Flair, which is more character-based. However, I still do not think they could have picked a worse person to portray Ric Flair in the film. There were moments, brief glimpses, where you saw a mannerism or heard him or something where you said, oh, yep. I kind of see what they saw, yep. but yep. 95% of it did not work. And at that being towards the end of the movie for me was just, it took me out of it for a moment. It was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is like a really bad college skit of a Ric Flair, not a feature film from A24. You're telling me the casting person could not pick a better Ric Flair than this guy? It pissed me off while I was watching that movie. You are right. There were a, there were like moments in it, little mannerisms. Yeah. Ways he said a couple of words where you're like, ooh, that's like a really good Ric Flair bit that you can kind of see. But the rest, it, the rest of it was so bad. <laughs> you are, you are kind of stunned that they went with that. And it almost felt like they didn't want to do someone being Ric Flair, they wanted to do like a dramatization of Ric Flair. Right. A Ric Flair-esque character. Yeah, an artistic type of thing instead of actual Ric Flair. Um, So yeah, that was going into the movie, the only, I again, I always try to avoid spoilers. The only thing I had heard was that the Ric Flair was (laughs) really, really bad. And it was. It wasn't as bad as I had heard. Yes, again, it was. There were a couple parts. It was bad. <laughs> a couple parts you kind of saw it, but it was rough. It was really rough. Getting back to Lance's question here, he asked, "What other wrestling films and movies do we recommend?" So I, I have a couple. I'll go first. Just I know I'm springing the question on you a little bit. So Beyond the Mat is my favorite wrestling documentary. If you have yep. not seen this, you absolutely need to see it. If you're a wrestling fan, again, Beyond the Mat came out in 1999. I actually saw it in theaters in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm almost really, yeah, I'm almost positive. I have a DVD copy somewhere. It's probably the best documentary on wrestling that's ever been made. I think it's completely fair to say. I think it's, I think it's on YouTube for free, by the way. Like, oh, if it's on YouTube for free, you got to watch that. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty, cause I'm pretty sure I've rewatched it there. It may have been taken down. I don't know, but like, yes, watch beyond the mat. It's the famous Bret Hart, Vince McMahon stuff's in there. Yep. Shawn Michaels, all the behind the scenes of the screw job, but it's a lot more than that too. 
There was the Rock and Mankind oh, yeah. at Royal Rumble 99 and all the chair shots. There's ECW behind the scenes for their first show, Terry Funk. You've got Jake the Snake Roberts, which I think the movie The Wrestler was kind of based off of Somewhat, Jake yeah. the Snake's portrayal in that documentary. It just, it very, I don't know if it was or wasn't. It's just very similar. Um, that is the gold standard. Also, nothing, you're forgetting nothing has been matched and nothing will be matched because no one's ever going to get that kind of access. No one's going to get that access again. You're, you're forgot uh, Darren Drozdov. And yes. that's where the whole like we learned about the Vince McMahon. He is going to puke. You know, that, that whole thing came from that. So uh, Beyond the Mat is awesome. Uh, the Wrestler, I think, slightly eclipses the Iron Claw for best scripted movie about wrestling. It's certainly, um, you know, the Iron Claw was a biography. So it's a little bit different, but the wrestler was great. Not surprising. It was directed by Darren Aronofsky and has Marissa Tomei in it and she can do no wrong. So the wrestler was, hey was great for me. Yeah. Talk about it. Hey, now. And unless I'm forgetting about something, which is definitely possible. I actually, Chris, think heels is probably the best scripted TV show about wrestling. Glow was very good, but it was less about the wrestling than heels was. So mm-hmm. I kind of just wanted to throw those out there, but anything else that you wanted to mention? Very much not like those. I'm a sucker for Ready to Rumble. Uh, it's fun. Late WCW movie with David Arquette and um, uh, all the WCW people from the time. It's very corny, but I watched that at like at the time it came out and I just kind of have nostalgic feelings with that, so. Uh, it's very fun. It's very campy, but the, I enjoy it. My funny thing about that is that Oliver Platt is the Oliver Platt. is the big wrestler. <laughs> like that, that yeah. is your top star wrestler of the entire. He's the lead wrestler of the entire film. Uh, just so funny. But Scott Collins in that, and David Arquette, and like you said, all the wrestlers. Isn't like Rose McGowan in that as well? I think she is. Yep. Yes, she is. Rose McGowan's yep. in that. There, there are some like Caroline Ray. I think Martin Landau is in that movie. Like there are some legitimate actors and actresses. But camp is the right word. It is. A campy as hell movie. I'm going to throw one other thing out because just because I just finished watching this and we're talking about it and I don't know what other point I'm ever going to have to mention this on the podcast. (laughs) But there's a show called Against the Ropes, which is on Netflix. It's a WWE produced Spanish language wrestling show. And it is one of the most confusing shows of any kind I've ever seen. Now, admittedly, I haven't seen many Spanish-styled dramas, Spanish-language dramas that are not for a broader audience, right? And I haven't seen a telenovela since I was probably in high school. But this was one of the strangest shows based on this convoluted plot and the way it's put together. I just can't remember feeling this way coming out of a show. So the wrestling in it is treated like mostly real, but a little fake. At times, it seems like the show might be made for kids and a young girl is one of the main characters, but they randomly curse and not just like a shit or a bitch here or there, but like fuck and mf -er and stuff like that. The lead is a mother who was arrested and jailed for like six or seven years for drug possession, except she claims the drugs weren't hers. The husband has a new girlfriend who's like a stepmother to the little girl. And this woman is an absolute piece of shit. Basically trying to steal this woman's family and the love of her daughter for real no reason, except no one sees that this is happening. The little girl loathes her mother when she comes out of jail, never gives her a chance, doesn't care that she clears her name and more that I won't spoil. 
But this little girl was a total asshole. There's few television characters that I hate more than this little girl, and she's like 12 years old. There's a bunch of plots that never develop and twists that don't seem to matter much, including like three in the final episode. And then somehow, at the end of this endlessly confusing, awkward, weird show, is probably one of the best scripted and best shot wrestling matches that I've seen on a show or a movie ever. Like the main event, if you want to call it, of the finale is actually good and entertaining and ties the whole thing together. And it ends on a great note. So does that mean you should watch this? I cannot recommend it. This is what I'll tell you. I had this in my Netflix queue and it turns out I had like 35 things. And I was like, at some point, I'm going to have to watch this. So while I was working, I said, let me just put this on in the background. I'll use the English language filter and I'll just pay attention here and there. I ended up watching the whole thing. Am I glad I watched it? I don't know, but I had to describe it to everyone. And if anyone else watched Against the Ropes and you felt the same way or you felt differently, please tweet us at Getting Overcast or DM us. I want your takes on this because I, I got to know if I'm the only one who feels this way about this show. I'll also throw in Fighting With My Family, the rock produced movie yeah. about Paige Soraya. Yeah. Actually really good. Like I thought it was yeah, it's, be it's dumb. Good. It was a lot better than I expected. Um, and that's a great cast too. Yeah. Incredible cast in that movie. Um, and then the Andre the Giant documentary, I think it's HBO. Very good. And then I guess we'll close with, I think it was an update recently that uh, the Vince McMahon Netflix documentary is still happening and is coming sooner than you think. Oh, that's a court. We'll see if that happens or not, but. Yeah, that's according to one person. I mean, I, I've seen no release date. Generally, they don't surprise uh, with releases. You know, you know, usually it's yeah. multiple months in advance, so I don't know what soon means. Um, are they going to try to get it out around WrestleMania? That would make sense. That's, you know, you that, really that do, is the, you want to capitalize on stuff like that. that. You know, that's what they should do. Well, I, I don't, depending on how it goes, I don't know. If, I don't know if you want it around WrestleMania or not, but that no, is No, no, no. It's biggest. not affiliated with WWE. Netflix would want to capitalize on it is what I'm saying. That's true. That's yeah. true. It, that is the biggest kind of untold story there is in pro wrestling really well vince it is life. it isn't it's not like there's we know plenty about about vince mcmahon and his life and his misdeeds and all that it just hasn't been told as a singular story yeah you know what i mean like we know all the individual it, chapters but it hasn't all been put together there's like that old playboy article that like is where a lot of it comes from yes and a couple things he said on howard stern over the years but yeah it hasn't really been put together and really gone into detail. Even even that that dark side of the ring on Vince. Oh, that was, was a huge. A real let, was a letdown. Yeah. compared to what we were because it's a great series, but that episode was. It is rare that I start something, any type of media, and don't finish it. I didn't finish that because it was clips of the Vince yeah. McMahon parts of all the other dark side of the ring episodes. So I was literally yeah. watching a replay. It was like a best yeah. of WWE Raw, except it was best of Dark Side of the Ring about Vince McMahon. It's basically what that was. It was terrible. Very disappointing. All right. On that note, we gave you an extended show, one of maybe the longest episodes we've done in the history of getting over. Welcome, Chris, back. Certainly, that was a part of it. And I'm glad we spent so much time discussing The Rock and Roman Reigns and what may or may not happen there. We're getting ahead of the topic because, of course, Royal Rumble is next week. And next week here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, same bat time, same bat channel. Next Tuesday, your WWE episode will be a Royal Rumble Ultimate preview. You are, of course, not going to want to miss that. Between now and then, we will be back on Thursday with your next NXT 
and AEW episode. On the way out, I'm going to hit you with a ton of reminders. Don't forget to visit us at Getting Overcast on Twitter. The top pinned tweet is an opportunity for you to vote for us, Getting Over, in the Sports Podcast Awards. We are nominated for Best Wrestling Podcast. We would greatly appreciate your vote. On that note, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It is also where you can submit questions for the last word as we read or comments and anything else you want to tell us, questions for the show. You can DM or you can tweet, again, all of it on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Please also remember here at Getting Over, it's all about Defy. So leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, as you heard earlier, we will read it live right here on the show. And lastly, please remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well. For $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling and exclusive news posts, all of it, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. All right, Chris, that was another loaded edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for Vintage. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.